Welcome to the Heart Guide Media Podcast. I am your host, Jesse AHS, and this is Ramones Part 2, 1984 to 96 and beyond, covering the last, you know, 12 years of the Ramones that they were active, and then beyond uh, projects that started after, you know, obviously the, the Ramones, the death of uh, the Ramones, each one, all four original Ramones members being dead now. Uh, we talk about members and our favorite, you know, solo uh, solo albums and and everything. It was a really fun. Um, it was a really fun conversation I had with Lou. As was the first part. It was really. Uh, it, it, it it always blows my mind that I can sit there and I can talk about one band with him for so long. And we could talk about a million different bands, but obviously the Ramones being the focal point of our best conversations, for sure, it being our favorite band. Um, but yeah, I trekked out to Albany, and uh, he and I and our uh, our main squeezes there, we went out and we got uh, visited the local record store, Last Vestige, picked up a Talking Burning Like a Flame single and Madonna Live to Tell single. So that was uh it was good to find some uh some gems out there in the old capital city. And uh then we went to Bombers and grabbed some food. Uh so if you're ever in the Albany area, you can visit Last Vestige, uh great little record store and bombers. Amazing, amazing Tex Mex uh type food, a lot of uh vegan and vegetarian options, which is good for myself in the uh girlfriend there so that was uh was a nice little outing and then you know we capped the night off lou and i hunkered down into uh his nice little studio room and uh we recorded this uh what you're about to hear uh two two plus hours of uh the ramones uh like i said it was uh it was a lot of fun and there was so much to talk about but something we didn't talk about it's unfortunate we didn't talk about we we thought we covered everything because we covered everything from CJ's projects to Bad Chopper and the remains and and all these in uh, everything Marky's done, but we forgot to touch on DD King. So the next time D, um, Lou is on, we're gonna we're gonna go through and talk a little bit about DD King, but because uh, that was a, such an interesting time. Obviously, DD leaving the Ramones to pursue a hip hop career. You know, and I always thought it was funny that he said, you know, I understand, you know, what the black man goes through because I'm poor. I've been poor and, and, you know, disenfranchised myself, you know, and I understand, you know, what it means to assign a success for someone who's disenfranchised to have uh, to walk around with a Rolex watch or, you know, Gucci shoes or whatever, Uh do they even make shoes? I think they make slippers, like the pimp slippers. So we'll talk about Dee Dee King and his pimp slippers for sure. Um, 
But yeah, I remember listening to some of the D.D. King stuff and loving it, obviously, because, I mean, anything with a Ramon on it, I'm just going to, I'm sold on. There's nothing I'm really going to dislike. But I thought it was, uh, I thought it was very, it was funny that he decided to go that route just because I know probably, you got to think, Johnny Ramon's had probably had to be so, like, against that. And that's probably one of the reasons D.D. never made his way back on top of, obviously, his drug use and things like that. But, but and it's a... The Ramones, man. Like I said, this was such a an awesome conversation to have with Lou. Um, mainly because we haven't been able to just talk about everything that that band encompasses. And I know I'm rambling right now, but I had to fill the intro. I had to fill the intro. So, and uh, Lou's gonna be on soon, and we're going to do um, hopefully the Alien franchise if we can get old Brian Tyler. Uh, to hunker down with us to to do that but uh check out lou's podcast uh he's uh been a, they've been a little stagnant the last um i don't know like uh since pretty much they've released like two episodes since october doing like movie like movie walkthrough review type things and they're really fun but you know for october he did the podcast october built um, for his Capital City Smiths podcast, and it was a lot of fun, and I was on it a few times, and I can't thank them enough for letting me ramble because it was such a great time. But they're going to be coming back eventually once they uh, once they reveal what their plans are. Um, so go to their SoundCloud page. It's Capital City Smiths, and they have 20-plus, uh, probably near 30 uh, uh, podcasts on movies there and they're a lot of fun i recommend the from dusk till dawn episode um the uh the creep show and the pet cemetery episodes that i was on and the american psycho episode too because that one's great too and fuck what why not why not promote myself on this as well (laughs) but uh but yeah i hope you enjoy uh my conversation with uh lou and here we are in Albany, New York, the capital city of this great snowy, cold fucking state, and uh, finally, I've reconnected with my good friend, Mr. Lewis Smith, for part two of our Ramones conversation, covering eighty, the late eighty three, eighty four, from the Too Tough to Die record until the very end, and then uh, after the aftermath of the last Ramones show. The Last Ramones Tour, The Last Ramones Everything, and we're going to even dive into the projects that happened after the Ramones uh, came to their demise, their untimely or timely, depending on who you ask, uh, end. But, Lou, it's good to be back, and obviously this is the longest longest talks we've ever had ever as far as... when we're doing part two so here we are finally doing part two which i know we've there's a lot to talk about with uh this era well there's been a huge build-up because i i know that we bonded like big time over just discussing specifically like too tough to like basically the richie and on era of like ramon stuff which is i don't know i'm super stoked to be doing this and 
I don't know when when we when you had mentioned initially like we should probably do this in two parts like it's going to make it a lot easier for us to really like focus in on like certain yeah. things. So we're not trying to touch everything in like an hour and a half or whatever, you know, right, right. The, the whole career of like one of our favorite bands, like of all time. It, so. it needed multiple hours oh, on, on two different. I, I mean, there was, if you really want to break it down, there's like three or four different eras, but these are two of the most distinct eras from like the seventies, early eighties Ramones. And then what they became, once Richie joined, because they were sonically different. In they were still the core sound of the Ramones, what you expect from the Ramones, but with new twists, kind of a new aesthetic, and uh, definitely a more harder nosed version of what people, you know. I mean, because if you listen to too tough to die or mama's boy it's not the same thing as listening to i want to be your boyfriend oh dude without a doubt and i don't want to say that from the self-titled all the way up through like subterranean jungle i mean i guess subterranean jungle is kind of that changing point but like for the most part i would even say through end of the century for the most part like that could almost if you listen to it with some exceptions in terms of how they were recorded the quality of the recordings it it seemed I don't want to say linear because that sometimes people look at that as being a negative thing. It's not in this case. Yeah. But that can stand alone in terms of like how the how the music was written and what it sounded like, and then getting into like you're saying, too tough to die on. Or it, it it's just you pointed it out. It's like a, a tougher a tougher approach, I guess, to the whole thing. The it, vibe, the look, the urgency, like in the music, it's just it's different. It kind of got an up, it got a restart in in a sense. Yeah, and I think. I mean, so I guess to touch on, before we dive into Too Tough to Die and Richie, mm-hmm. we'll touch on some stuff I think we might have uh, not have mentioned initially that we might have to. Oh, yeah, dude. Absolutely. Um, one of those being, one second, piece of shit. Um, one of those being, obviously, uh, on... Pleasant Dreams, obviously, KKK took my baby away. Absolutely. Which I know we talked a little bit about, but that was... It, it, it's Johnny versus Joey in that song, is it not? Isn't that what it is, right? You know, I don't care how you want to fucking try and hash it out and explain it. It's like listening to it and listening to, I guess, the how each one of them kind of viewed each other. You know, obviously... Johnny being the more conservative, militaristic, right-wing type guy, and Joey being the the liberal, like left-leaning, like compassionate individual. It's like to say to 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 use that analogy. The KKK took my baby away. Combined with what was literally going on, yeah, it's fucking has to be an allegory for that whole situation. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. But how fucking weird is it that that's the single, or that's that is a single? It does very fucking well. And you got to sit a fucking foot away from this guy in your tour bus. Or your tour van. I'm sorry. Your tour van. You could fart in the driver's hearing. <laughs> like, and you got to sit next to this dude. Like, I can't even begin to put myself in that situation at all. That's beyond commitment to a band or anything like that. That is... See, you could say, like, oh, they stay together for the music. Like, they... I mean, talk about, like, that's the most, like splitting thing you could probably have between two friends is a fucking girl my girl yeah like that's fucking there's 
I mean, lives have been ended over things like that. <laughs> Polarizing yeah. as fuck. Yeah. And then we're, they're expected to get in a fucking van and, you know, drive across country and then exactly. tour Europe and shit, you know? Which they did for fucking another 16 yeah. years. Yeah. So it's... Uh, so what are your thoughts on it? I mean, are, are you in the same boat? Is I it- mean, it's so funny because I remember... I remember loving the song, obviously, when I first heard it. I was like, this is fucking, like, great. And I just awesome. love the, like, that riff, that da na 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 da da na 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 It just, uh, and I never really thought it. And I just, like, in my mind as a kid, I was just like, maybe Joey had a black girlfriend. And then she disappeared. <laughs> and that's why he said, like, that's what I just assumed. Like, being, you know, a 12-year-old kid. And I was just like, yeah, that's what happened. I guarantee it. Like, uh. But now knowing like the situation, obviously with Linda, mm-hmm. uh, it's so interesting. Because well, what I, I mean, it's so interesting because from what I hear, from what I've read, from what I've researched, just having no life outside of being a Ramones fan, uh, <laughs> she just like she didn't tell Joey she was leaving. She just like stopped talking to him one day, and then one day she found out like him and her and Johnny were together. Like that's a fucking kick in the dick if there uh, ever were yeah. one. Well, and, and even hearing it, like, hearing it for the first time and, and even after picking up the record, it's like, I didn't know the backstory of it. And it's like, having watched, obviously, the documentaries and the interviews and reading the fucking articles and all that shit, it's like, you get a sense for kind of what was going on. Yeah. But, like, at the time, hearing it is kind of, if if that was your question initially to me, like, if I knew what that meant when I first heard it. Absolutely not. Yeah. I just thought it was a fucking great song, but then it's like you read more into it and it's like, oh, yeah, that's fucking 110% of the fuck he was writing. Oh, about. yeah. Like, it just makes sense. So it's it's interesting that that song was written then and they maintained a relationship all that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, like I said, if there was ever a band of brothers in a band, it was the Ramones, 100%. Oh, absolutely. But I'm trying to think if... Okay, so... We'll dive into Too Tough to Die. But before that, John obviously gets into a fight, a scuffle, whatever you want to call it. Has to have immediate brain surgery. So obviously, and we found a picture with him with shorter hair that oh we I showed you earlier. Oh my God. So, and that was, you know, a cataclysmic element for Too Tough to Die as well. Obviously, it being... Not so tongue in cheek and pretty right there, like too tough to die. I had to have brain surgery, a legit lobotomy, not so much teenage, but a lobotomy, <laughs> nevertheless. Um, he looked like somebody's aunt. In oh, yeah, he definitely like, did. Ethel, oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Ethel Ramon, Ethel. <laughs> but uh, so obviously that plays into that, had to have played into the title. You know, too tough to die. But I also think that title uh, has got to be a uh, a take on. You know, obviously they didn't make it big the way they thought it, they were gonna. They didn't explode the way they thought they were going to, or should, or should have. You know, obviously with end of the century. After that, I think they still tried to maintain like tried to you know get those hits and like obviously you write a song like we want the airwaves and things like that and it still wasn't happening and subterranean jungle i think we can probably agree is one of the 
we don't rank that among their best albums by any stretch, and I don't think anyone would. But talk about if there were ever a comeback record, I'd say "Too Tough to Die" was one hundred percent it. Well, and, and just look, I, I think a lot of it. And I know that I, I can't remember if it was um, if it was end of the century or even if it was shipped from Ramones Raw, but like obviously there was a lot of stock and time and effort and energy that went into end of the century, the fucking album. Yeah. That was supposed to be the fucking silver bullet. That was going to get him on the fucking radio. That was it. That was it. And it's like, yes, I, Subterranean Jungle was pretty fucking weak, but I think psychotherapy, I I love that fucking song. Oh yeah, exactly. The drums are a little plinky in it, but like, I love the song. I I just think it's a great fucking track. The video is weird as fuck. Yeah. Like it's strange. But it's it's a great song, but I don't know. Just talk about Which, so when did Richie join then? So he had to have joined during that touring cycle because he's in the video. Yes. Uh but if you look I think we did talk about this and I I can't remember, but like if you actually look at the sleeve of like the the album art of Subterranean Jungle, like Mark's fucking like it's literally just his like just his head face. in the window, and he's he's away from the rest of the band. Like the three of them are standing in the thing, and like he's over here in his own thing. And it's not that it, it's I don't want to look too much into it because it's probably not, but it almost seems like a symbolic like okay. I I'm not sure if this is just like me not remembering things properly, but I want to say he didn't show up for the photo shoot, and they photo put placed him in there. That makes sense. I know with uh, Didi's shirt, they airbrushed the yeah. white shirt that he was So wearing. I want to say he didn't show up for that, and they threw him in the... I, I don't know didn't if that... show up. Yeah. But obviously, he's kicked out for boozing it. Yep. Not showing up. Not showing up. Because that, that was always something, too, that, like... I know you and I have touched on, like, the fact that, like, John kind of ran things like a gang. He ran things fucking very, like... Th- there was... There was a schedule, there was a regimen. And you stuck to it. And, and they were very serious about showing up to play. We don't fucking cancel, you know, all that shit. And that's, obviously as a band, I would think for the most part, like, you yeah, obviously don't want to let down the fans, but like keeping that consistency. If they're going to be there, they're going to be there. They say, or if they say they're going to be there, they're going to be there. If they're paid, they're sure as fuck going to be there. But it's the idea of like, we can't play because our drummer didn't show up. Yeah. What the fuck is that? Like, or, or anybody show up. It doesn't matter. It's just somebody in the band didn't show up so we can't play. Yeah. And I, I mean, that shit can't fly, especially if you're trying to... I mean, especially at that point, too. Like, you got to sense their frustration with not making it after end of the century. And they're still struggling. And I feel like... I feel like they were just like, you know... This is the last thing we need is someone not fucking showing up. Right. But so then, so then we get to see him fucking reborn. I, well, yeah, I would say, I yeah. would say reborn. Got Absolutely. a second chance that probably he didn't expect to get. No, you know, especially with how how Johnny was just so steadfast. This is how what we're doing, and if you're not, if you can't handle it, then that that's it later. Uh, and he was kind of straightforward with that. But enter Richie Ramone now. Before we dive into this, I'm going to say this right now. I know there's several people I've read comments on YouTube pages and things like that. And obviously, back in the day, Ramon's message boards for people not saying that Richie's a real member. People saying CJ's not a real member. 
the band would not have continued, I don't think we wouldn't there we wouldn't have those records without Richie. He was a big reason those records in the eighties that we revere. I'm not saying every Ramones fan reveres them because there's some foolish Ramones fans out there that think fucking the eighties were a terrible time for the Ramones. When I think it was probably when they were at their peak as far as I don't know. They intensity. Hit, they hit a strive a stride in the um in the 80s that I think maintained the rest of their career. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the, it's riding that wave. And, you know, one thing, too, that I, I really did like specifically about uh, Too Tough to Die is if you look at some of the writing credits, too, I know you and I were talking about this when we were eating, but it's like not only is, is Richie, you know, credited on some of those, in term, whether it's writing, singing, except, you know, backing vocals, but Johnny as well. Yeah. He's in there. So it's like, again, it, it's taking... I don't want to say it, it's drastically changing things. The formula is not changing too much, but it's introducing new elements. It's taking, like I said, kind of recycling that initial like hard, raw energy like sound from like the self-titled record and, and, and onward, refined and fucking, we're just doing it. We're going. Yeah. And like that, I don't know. Obviously, you're like, yeah, it's like, I, I love all this shit that Dee Dee wrote. I love all this shit that Joey wrote, but now it's like you're, you're kind of, it's a different take. On, on an original thought that was originally put out fucking 1976. Yeah. Here's now what's happening. You know, I don't know. They're playing, you know, Richie, obviously, their speed increased. They're playing faster than they'd ever played. Hell yeah. And that's the thing, that's what's funny about Richie, too. Until I really met him at that show, I didn't realize how tall he was. Still fucking jealous. You got to see that shit. It was so cool. Just so fucking rad. He's... So are they all monsters? They, are the Ramones just all giants? Are they all giants? I feel like everybody's a giant. If they're not a giant, they're just like some like weird Tommy. Like. They're weird underdwellers of the world. They're just like, <laughs> and it's just it's so fitting for what they are. But I mean, when did you first hear "Too Tough to Die"? Though I'm trying to think. It was definitely I was in high school, and it was one of those things because. I went through, I, I knew we were talking about it initially, but like I would go through using various gift certificates or whatever and I would pick up an album here, an album there. And for whatever reason, like I don't know why I never picked it up initially, but I remember um, I gotten the actual like box set for Christmas on uh, Weird Tales. I, I, get, I received that as a present one year. And... Um, Obviously, going through it, shit I'd heard before, whether it was illegally downloading things offline, fucking pirating, whatever. I was scumbag. I would do that shit from on occasion if I couldn't fucking afford right. to buy something. But I, I don't know if I could actually put a a time, like a date or a time. But I was definitely in high school and I had heard it. And at first, I'm gonna be honest with you, like I didn't know what to think because up until that point, the lion's share of what I had listened to was their earlier stuff. So going into it, I was kind of like, it's like, of course, Endless Vacation Warhog, out of the gates, I was like, this is fucking awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. And I love Dee Dee, like, singing anyway, but, like, it was just, it was harder, it was faster. It was like, it, it, that, that to me was just amazing. I loved hearing that. And it's not that the other stuff was bad, it was just, it was... It introduced you to a different element that hadn't right. been introduced by them before. Right, and... In, in, because the only time you heard... Dee Dee was like 
was was what like fifty uh, third and third. Yep, yeah, I was gonna say he's got his he's got his moment in fifty third and third. And those are kind of like it, those aren't like don't that's, get me wrong. Fifty third, it's like a cameo almost. Yeah, fifty third like and third rocks. Tell but that. listen to the aggression in Endless Vacation or Warthog as compared to fifty third and third. Fucking, it's day and night. Yeah, and that's what and that, that's why I think was so cool. It's like. You know, you take some of the more. I, I, obviously, it's like the the earlier records are much more stripped down and much more simplistic. It's fun. It's all fun. The whole fucking discography is fun. But you now introduce them having played together for so long, written music together for so long. They've really refined their fucking sound, and now being like, okay, we're gonna we are gonna be more aggressive. Because you also have to look at what else was coming out at that time, too, in terms of music. What else? What they, I don't want to say what they were competing with, but what else was going on in their fucking realm? you got to think. There's all the one hit. Well, one, it's the beginning stages of glam rock, mm-hmm. you know, of glam metal. You know, 80, so that was 84. So 83, the biggest, one of the biggest songs in 83 was fucking Come On, Feel the Noise, Quiet Riot. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously their cover of the Slade song. You know, you're having bands like that, and Bon Jovi's coming out, and fucking, uh, you know, Motley Crue is, like, you know, starting to hit it. And all those, you have all of those bands on top of the pop shit. On top of having, like, you know, Glenn Fry had just went, and, and, you know, he has, you know, started a successful solo career. You know, Hall & Oates was fucking tearing up the charts. And nothing against any of these bands, especially Hall & Oates, who Fuck you and yeah. I are huge fans of. Fuck yeah. Um, and then Thriller, obviously, is still fucking, like, d- d- dominating. You know what I mean? And you have, like, the pop stars of the world, like Michael Jackson, like Prince, like Madonna, out. So, as far as, like, a punk, you know, someone, a band that was from the 70s, that's considered a punk band, putting out albums, who else was there? The Clash was broken up by this time. They'd outlasted The Clash. The Sex Pistols <laughs> fucking long in the dust. <laughs> That was a blip. Yeah. Sex Pistols were a fucking blip. At this point, I'm pretty sure fucking, uh, I'm pretty sure What's His Nuts was doing fucking P.I.L. at that point. Or yeah. Or attempting to. So yeah. it's like, and, and on top of that, it's Who like, from their era of all those bands was still kicking? Blondie, and, but they had long well, passed at playing anything. The, the in, in my mind, the only group remotely from that era, not necessarily the same vein of music, but... You have out of the ashes of Joy Division enter New Order. New Order. However, that was they were doing two separately different. Oh things. yeah. Although Peter Hook is a huge DD fan, he loves Ramones. Yeah. He's huge yeah. into DD. I mean, watching watch Peter Hook play on stage. Yeah. I mean, he's all hunched over. He's fucking oh, yeah. wearing his face all the way the fuck down there. You know, dude plays with a pick. Talk about fucking just phenomenal bass playing. Oh yeah. But anyway, I digress. Um, yeah, you're right. They they've outlasted all these other groups that they kind of came up with, and now it's like, how do we stand out against all this other shit that's going on? And there's maintaining really, our identity, more or less. You want to know one record that came out? I think it came out in '84. I'm almost positive. Maybe it was '83. I'm unsure. I'm not gonna look it up. Uh, but uh, Rebel Yell, Billy Idol. That tone kind of has a similar tone to like a Too Tough to Die record. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And that's funny because obviously Billy Idol was coming off from, you know, uh, Degeneration X, 
or Generation, Generation X. Generation X. Gen- yeah. X is the wrestling faction. Sorry, <laughs> uh, Generation X. Um, you know, and uh, which is which is uh, funny because uh, you know Toby Hooper, obviously. Mm-hmm. Pet or pet What the fuck is am I even talking about right now? Of Texas Chainsaw Massacre yes. fame, you uh, a million other fucking movies. Poltergeist. Uh, he directed the Dancing with Myself video. Did you know that? I did not know. Yeah, that. he directed. Yes. <laughs> Which you watch it now, you could definitely, you could definitely tell. Like, you could definitely tell. You could see. Yeah. Yeah, but what's funny is. Um, Anyway, that had like a similar sound, and I think Billy Idol tapped into that and quickly lost it because he kind of like I don't know he just went off the rails. I think like he got caught up in this fucking stardom and oh like, yeah, and he but that record. What are your? Th- I mean, not to not we're not gonna go super far into Billy Idol, but what are your thoughts on that record? Just because I don't know if I've ever talked to you about Billy Idol and that record. We we have not, and I kind of have a stance. I have a stance just on Billy Idol in general, not even necessarily the record itself, but overall, look, I'm a sucker for fucking, I love new wave music. I love pop music in general for the most part with obviously some exceptions. I know it's a huge like blanket term to say like, I love pop music, which that's not necessarily true. But for that time, as, as far as what was out there and what was going on, the sound that he had and kind of his image and stuff, it was pretty fucking cool. That being said, I don't think it had the longevity. So when I hear it, it's like, I like it. it it's great. When I see Billy Idol today, absolutely. But I'm not as well-versed as I am with, let's say, like a- another popular band like New Order. Right. I-, I could fucking talk. I could talk about New Order for fucking hours. So I haven't, I never gave his other shit apart from the fucking four or five like pop songs. Yeah. And I know a lot of people specifically say Generation X was awesome. Yeah. It's like in, in in that first yeah, that first record or whatever, the first and second Billy Idol records are still pretty fucking solid. Like Oh yeah. Definitely. They're they're not as it didn't get so mucked down with like yeah. the other shit that he came Yeah, with after. stuff that he was trying to just incorporate after after those records. Mm-hmm. But anyway, enough about Billy Idol. Yeah. Um but favorite track on Too Tough to Die. Hmm. I made a little bit of a list. And I think I I don't know if I could give you a favorite. I think a close second for me, I know we talk about it a little bit, um, Chasing the Night. When I first heard that, I was obsessed. Not only because it had like the element of like a new wave song because they had like a little synthesizer yeah. in there, but I also like the fact that like Richie was doing backups for it. Too. Yeah. And like there's a video that they recorded, it was an old gray whistle test. Which I think is like the UK or something like that. Yeah. Um, they did. I think they did Mama's Boy. Or maybe they did Too Tough to Die. But but either way, they recorded like three or four like videos for that, and they did Chasing the Night live in in a studio setting, and it was just really cool because it's being able to see Richie play and sing at the same time, but also just where they were at that time frame. So Chasing the Night, I would I. That, that's definitely up there for me. But like I said before, on this vacation, um, was, you know, that, that and uh, Warhog, amazing. In terms of, like, favorite, because I know the Ramones never really did this, but we also get to see him doing an instrumental track, uh, Dream of 95. Awesome. I mean, they ended up opening all their shows yeah. with that yeah. the last few tours. Like, that was their go-to yeah. opening track. That and was what they opened the... It's fucking awesome. Which is an amazing... Tr- track to open a live set with yeah it, and not only that that last fucking show that they they played was just like fucking super fast 
super fucking like they they played it just in in quick time, but like. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Howling at the Moon, obviously, fucking... Howling at the Moon, definitely. Like, I remember when I would listen... When I was listening... The first time I heard any of the tracks from Too Tough to Die was when I was listening to the Ramones Anthology. It was mm-hmm. the first purchase I made. So I'm listening to that, and, like, I was listening to everything, and everything sounds fucking great. And then that track came on, and honestly, that was the most standout track that I hadn't heard when I listened to that. You know, talking 2000, 2001. Mm-hmm. And I was like fuck especially because it starts with that it's like a little synth thing like and then like just traditional pop songwriting starting out with the chorus as soon as the song starts and it was just it was so funny because they could have fucking endless vacation and fucking warthog and then still have those elements that made the ramones the ramones at the same time with introducing the more crazier like shit you know the more sonically different faster shit that they're like you want to see fucking punk guess what the sex pistols aren't punk because guess what they still ain't around they still ain't (laughs) holding it out the fucking clash sold out and fucking made reggae records and guess what we're a fucking goddamn punk rock band we're a rock and roll band and that's what i love about them and too tough to die is that i feel like in so much so many different ways it's like yeah like it had maybe had to do john's like John had a near-death experience, and he's just like, yeah, I'm too tough to die. But also, like, guess what? Did we make it a number one record? No. Did we fucking... Did we become this huge band that we should have? No, but guess what? We're still fucking playing. We're still going. And guess what? If you miss a fucking show, you can't hold it together. We're getting a guy named fucking Richie Ramone to fucking... Richard Bo or whatever <laughs> yeah, the fuck his name is. To fucking rip through this shit. And guess what? And like I said, we you, you talked about it a little uh, before we started recording. Uh, I think John gave a little bit of the reins to Richie because he saw that he was responsible enough to... Obviously, Richie's songwriting, doing backing vocals, playing faster, driving their live set a little in a little different manner than, you know, Marky would. Marky wasn't a commanding force on stage as far as, like, I mean, he was a hell of a timekeeper, but as far as dictating, like, the speed, like, it being that much faster, like... It's fucking crazy. Watch those fucking videos from 84, 85, like, in, like, the Smash You Live, that live set. It's fucking insane. How about, like, I've, I've caught, like, interviews that they gave after their shows. So it would be, like, Joey, Johnny, Richie after the show. Yeah. And not only does Richie look wiped out. Like, he just looks... There was one of them I saw. I think they were in Toronto or something like that. It was They caught him, like, after a show. So, it's like, they're all, like, sweaty. But, like, Richie just looks so fucking just drained. And it's like, watching them play live, it's like, they were already a high, higher energy band anyway. Imagine taking that and then speeding that shit up. It's like... That's what's, that's what's discouraging to me as someone who... I don't play a musical instrument. I sing. If I'm ever in a band, I sing. That's still an instrument, but dude. I know. But that's still, an I fucking, I still don't like. I feel weird ever calling myself a musician. But the fact that this something that discourages me about trying to find people to play with, trying to find even bands like I can like a band's music, but if I see that they're just from like a, a wealthy upper class or upper middle class like suburbia, didn't really struggle for anything like nothing's really like everything was really handed to them like they were 
but like I went to I grew up playing with kids in bands that had fucking Mesa boogie triple rectifier fucking heads like you know what I mean <laughs> meanwhile my guitarist has got a fucking uh he's got a Marshall cab that he had to bust his ass to fucking get and you know what he's got on top of it he's got a fucking line six spider like fucking combo amp on top because it has all the presets on it so he doesn't have to buy any pedals and he got that one for fucking Christmas and like he cherished it you know what I mean it's always like and that's what I liked about the Ramones. They were always working class. They never fucking thought they were better. They never tried to fucking big time anybody. They just said, we're the Ramones. We're coming to play. And we're going to kick the fucking shit out of you. And they pushed themselves to the breaking point. Especially when Richie got into the band. That they were playing those the fast song, fast rock and roll songs that they were playing. Even fucking faster. And just wiped themselves fucking out. Look at how fast John Johnny Ramones fucking playing Durango 95 when they fucking open it. Even in their later years, how fucking fast his goddamn uh, right hand's going. How fucking, especially doing as long as they did, but even in this, when they were just like, guess what? You know what? We didn't get discouraged. We're still not fucking phoning it in just because end of the century didn't take off and none of our other records have and people aren't giving us the fucking just do that we, that we have coming to us. Meanwhile, the, sadly for them, it doesn't fucking come until they're all fucking dead. Then you could buy their fucking t-shirt at a fucking Starbucks. H&M and shit. Yeah. Come on, give me a fucking break. But guess what? That's what that is that push to really give it everything you have. You know how many bands I've played with? You know how many bands I've watched fucking just work their way through a set until they're done and then they're just more concerned about what's going on afterwards? I don't think there was much of an afterwards after Ramon's set because guess what? They were fucking wiped the fuck out. And not only that, but they got to play fucking 150 miles in the other city in fucking whatever, 14 hours. Yeah. That that was just it. It was touring, recording, touring, recording, touring, recording, and that's what the fuck it was. Hard and fast, their whole fucking career. Yeah. And that's, I don't know, there's something to be fucking said for that. There's not these like massive like fucking... You know, oh, what are the Ramones doing? We haven't heard from them in you know six years. There's this you know period where we don't know what they're doing. It's like no, no, because they're not living in. And you know, it's something that if you ever watched the the Lemmy documentary, I have, I have, I have not. It's a fucking amazing documentary. Um, But obviously, Lemmy had a great relationship with the Ramones. He wrote R A M O N E S. And put it on 1916, which they ended up obviously covering live and things like that. Um, But that was the same. They played the same way Motorhead did. And I think that's why he had mad respect for the Ramones as well as the Ramones did for him. Is because they were kind of cut from the same cloth. Absolutely. But they were just... UK equivalency, I guess you could say. Definitely. Definitely. Especially as for as long as they lasted, too. I mean, you talk about Motorhead that had almost a... If if Lemmy would have... Uh, I mean, they did. They lasted 40 years. They started... The first release was 75. And they lasted until he died 10, day, 10 or 11 days after he played his last set. At 70... You know, he died two days after his 70th birthday. Well, in... in- not to not to sidestep with uh, with too tough to die, but I wanted to get this out there before I forgot about it. So obviously Durango ninety five, that's a reference to Clockwork Orange. Yeah, that's the vehicles that they drove. Mm-hmm. And and I found out too, like you know whatever a while ago. I what I think it was when I was going to school in fucking like Plattsburgh or some shit. When I first started getting into kind of that stuff, reading like you know reading Clockwork Orange, obviously Kubrick and stuff in high school because of Jake Romer, but like you know. <laughs> That album cover was inspired based on like the shot of like yes, the Druids yes. walking through, like, yeah. you know, 
walking through the fucking tunnel and Which eat I'm, the fucking like I'm, drunk. I'm sure more homeless, than dude. more than you know more than likely Johnny's love for those kind of movies too. He's a, obviously he was a big movie buff, big movie poster buff. Mm-hmm. But that I, I just think that's a. It's a really cool representation of where the band was at that point. And now, kind of, now like, segueing into Animal Boy, because I know... I mean, I'll let you kind of explain the whole thing about the passing. Not passing of the torch in a way, but... I don't know. How, how would you describe that? Like Animal Boy is... I feel like... The, the, I feel like in terms of... In terms of this era of, like, the Ramones and probably onward, let's say from this... Let's say from Too Tough to Die all the way through the end... I feel like this album, with the exception of Acid Eaters, but I wouldn't put Acid Eaters into the same room because it's basically a cover album. Yeah. I feel like Animal Boy is extremely polarizing. I think people it, either... either it they, definitely is. I think people can either find redeeming qualities about it or they're like, I, this is shit. You know? Yeah, definitely. And it's, it's a record that after we did our first episode... I went and I I wanted to re-listen to this one because initially we we planned to do it relatively soon after the first one. Mind you, it's almost three months later, but I mean that just happens. Uh, fucking holidays, man! What the yeah, fuck's up with that? I don't fucking do it, man. <laughs> but it was. It, I talked about. I'd mentioned this to you earlier because we can't just not hang out and not talk about the Ramones. I know. It just every <laughs> single time it's just gonna happen. Um, but. It does seem, and especially starting on Too Tough to Die, obviously he was doing backing vocals. He was writing songs. And obviously he, this, I mean, uh, somebody put something in my drink. That's obviously what stayed in the set list until oh, their absolutely. last show. Yep. It's a it's a, a song he wrote. And, you know, it's, I do think, and, and I talk, like from everything I've read, from everything I I heard and listened to and listened to interviews with Richie and Johnny and Joey and and everyone. It seems like John was comfortable giving Richie a little bit of stroke, a little bit of power to kind of handle things. And I think maybe that's why Richie ended up getting a little sour over not getting some t-shirt money because, you know, his name's on it. He's probably contributing more than Marky ever did. Oh, you you need to believe that that's the case. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, he's writing, he's like, you know, he was way more vested in it than, than, uh, than any, any drummer prior besides, you know, obviously Tommy, but Tommy didn't, wasn't around long enough to, for him to get to that level where like, they were fucking arguing over t-shirt sales. You know what I mean? Um, but what, what are your thoughts now on Animal Boy? Because it is a polarizing record. I think it's unjustly shit on a little bit because there are some there are some fucking amazing tracks on it. You got to think like, uh, I mean, you do have like the the more like it's almost like they took a little bit of a they still remained in the eighties but took a little step back to that like I want to be your boyfriend. Like, not, I don't want to say slower tunes, but like, uh, you know, my brain is hanging upside down and something to believe in, which great fucking song. I think something to believe in is my favorite track on the record. I put, well, Love Kills is definitely my favorite on that fucking, that that is just something to believe in is probably a close second. I just, I think Love Kills is great. I mean, yes, 
it, it's more or less a, an ode or a ballad to fucking Sid and Nancy. Yeah. Kind of that whole, like, thing, the drama there, which... I never... Which, I mean, more or less, Dee Dee was going through, too, from it so- the sounds of it, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. But I, I just, I love that song because, A, it's it's a carryover from the, you know, from Too Tough to Die where we get to, to see Dee Dee featured as singing, doing vocal work a little bit more. So, I love the song anyway. Um, Someone believing it's fucking, it's great. And, and like, I think, have you seen the video? Yeah, of course. Hilarious. Obviously, so the, Hilarious. the many cameos, like, it's just, it's an amazing, and that was a... Obviously, for the Live Aid fucking, like, benefits that everyone was doing, the We Are the World yeah. type things, you know. Um, which, can we fucking find the artwork for the Ramones Aid shirts and find someone to reprint those fuckers? Uh, can we get dude, some bootlegs, dude, please? Dude, we got the fucking Ramones long sleeve. I bet you he would do that. If you, like, send him a screenshot and tag him, I be might like, have dude, to. fucking do this. I told you that's the the old bass player from Eighteen Visions, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I I might have to be like, listen, find the artwork for Ramones Aid, fucking sure. Tell me, you got two people that are gonna buy that would yeah. buy it immediately. I would buy two. <laughs> <laughs> just have them printed in black, please. Yeah, of course. I can't wear white shit. I um, would love to, but I just fucking I'm too dirty of a fuck. Oh, me too. I wear a white shirt and literally I put it on and I'm like noticing stains. Like, yep. okay, I haven't even eaten fucking food. And coincidentally, <laughs> when I wear the white shirts, that's the day that, that's the days that I'm like, you know, I think spaghetti and meatballs is a good yeah, choice yeah. for fucking food or <laughs> Philly cheesesteak yeah. or some shit. Um, Animal Boy, I think having listened the to The production it, level on it is obviously higher because you listen to like Bonzo Goes to Bit- Pittsburgh, you know, my brain's hanging upside yeah. down. Um uh, and something to believe in. There's like that little bit. There's more going on in the songs. Absolutely, and and obviously some of it is. I don't want to say like synth or keyboard work, but there there's there's some of those elements that exist in both of those. Um, they entered those elements into Too Tough to Die and this record so naturally that it mm-hmm. wasn't like oh they you know. They didn't get they're the trying to be a new wave band. Now, yeah, yeah, they're trying to you know engulf the eighties, like because which I know people, we know people that shit on this era of the Ramones because they think like I've heard everything from they they tried sounding too metal yeah, or they tried sounding too eighties and like well one, uh, tell me listen to Love Kills and listen to Warthog and tell me that sounds like eighties pop mm, doesn't does not. Not at all. And, like, I could I could almost see it in those other tracks that we had listed off. You know, some would believe in, like, the the bell or whatever. The yeah, yeah. Bling, 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 yeah. or whatever. Like, okay, I get it, but it doesn't make it a bad song. No, it's, not at all. It's Ramon's take on their where they were in their fucking career. But, like, the other thing with Animal Boy, too, it's like, you know, you got shit like fucking you know, Weasel Face. And, like, you know, there, there's some of the... I don't want to say they're they're weaker songs, but like there are redeeming qualities I think to the album. That being said, I know that you're a huge fan of Halfway to Sanity. Um, I think just in in that span, if to go from Too Tough to Die to fucking Animal Boy and then into fucking um, Halfway to Sanity is just like, dude, it's unfucking real. Yeah. And in in that short... you know now question sure what did when was the first time you heard Halfway to Sanity? Or what track did you hear? Did you hear a track first? Did you hear the full, whole no, thing in full no, first? I heard a track first. Um, what the fuck? 
I think I think it was I Wanna Live. I think that's that was the first I wanna say that was the first that was song the first I, heard track I heard off there. And like went hearing it at first, I was like, God damn, like this is fucking good. Like everything up to this point has been awesome anyway, but like that being the first track that I had heard off the album was I don't know. I was like, it was fucking great. And at that point too in their career, it's like you you listen to the lyrics too and what they're actually saying, like what's being said. Oh like, yeah, it's just it's fucking great, dude. Um, I I know you're a big I know you're a big fan of that of that album and rightly so. Yeah, it's uh, you know, it's a it's an album that I think like the again every record that they have has amazing artwork, and this record was no different. And it just looked like they were standing like at the gates of hell for mm-hmm. some reason. That's what I thought. And for them to go from Too Tough to Die, that was like obviously a, a game changer for them and a stylistic, sonically sounding a little bit different, to going to Animal Boy where it was like still some same elements, but then they added like, you know, the something to believe in, you know, type, and especially the closing track on that record. And then to go into Halfway to Sanity and then you're opening with I Want to Live. And then you have, you know, everything from, you know, I'm Not Jesus to Garden of Serenity, which Great might song. be their heaviest song. Great song. Yeah, but see, I lost my mind. I, I, that is, I, I know, I know that I've, I've preached that whole like fucking the DD thing. But I, that's that's the stuff that I really like. I yeah. love I love the DD vocal stuff and just that song in general. Like, I don't know if you go and listen. It's the same thing. People who bitch about it, it's like play that fucking song and just listen to how the fucking how the basses mix, how the guitar. It's just fucking. I don't know. It 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 is a different fucking. It's a different song. And I think people people give it credit. Yeah, know? and I think people write these three records in particular off more elitist Ramones fans try to write these three records off as they were just like kind of going along to get along kind of phoning it in which I think is kind of opposite I think this is some of the strongest material absolutely and uh I'm not sure what they if they changed the they had to have changed tunings right maybe they didn't you know because I've never seen any live videos I've never seen Johnny Ramone ever switch a guitar or retune. No, White Moss, right? I've never seen him even. Now that I think about it, I'm not sure I've ever seen Johnny Ramone retune in the middle of a song. Probably because he he didn't. He either didn't need to, or he didn't give a shit. Yeah. You know, it's like if you're overdriving your guitar, if you have distortion on, you're just playing bar chords. It gets off a little bit, like whatever. Maybe that's just me trying to simplify it, but I've never seen that. I want to say the only time I've seen them maybe switch guitars is they're fucking that final show. Yeah. I feel like somebody handed him one at one point. I could be wrong about I can't that. remember. I haven't watched the full live show in a while. I just feel like, I don't know, maybe not. Either way. Um, now, for the longest time, I would definitely go with I Want to Live or my favorite track off Halfway to Sanity, but I'm going with Garden of Serenity now. It's a great fucking track, dude. Uh, you know, you're really getting you get dark in that one. And Dee Dee was obviously, I think, in the height of his heroin days. 
Uh, so that that's why I think you were getting things like uh, like I Want to Live, Garden of Serenity, things like that. Because, uh, you know, he, at this point, from Too Tough to Die on, the motherfucker, I don't think we saw him without sunglasses. Even playing in a club or anything, he was constantly donned with sunglasses, and he obviously was... And I want to say, I mean, as, as funny as it is to dive into little things like this, I think he was, there was pressure for him. There was like a little, not, it, it was like almost like a blip riff between him and John about him cutting his hair. Because, you know, he had it cut and had it spiked. Which I, I liked that look. Yeah, so did I. I think it... It matched I, with what was going on as far as fucking their style. Exactly, exactly. In, in the idea... Not, not and Joey, the, Joey obviously introducing motorcycle love, wearing motorcycle gloves. Yeah, yeah. And you know they weren't all wearing jeans like Johnny. Johnny always wore jeans, but then you got Joey Leathers. who's wearing black leather. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. What's well, it's the and I love that's another reason I love because their their look changed as well, but it didn't change drastically where you're like, this is a completely different band. No, they didn't it was show just wearing in... fucking button-up fucking flannel t-shirt. Yeah. Button-up flannel long sleeves and shit. They, they still kept it, but I don't know. I would say that that's a way of them being... It's a sign of the times, but also them like being a little bit more edgy. I don't know. Yeah. It, it, made, it made sense, and it still looked cool when it really came down to it. It still looked good. Yeah. Now, did you know that... Uh... Debbie Harry from Blondie was on this record? On Halfway to Sanity? Because uh-huh. I'd heard this not. before, but I don't even know if she's credited on it. I don't think I've ever seen where she was credited. But you apparently she is, it says she sung on a Go Little Camaro Go. Not Backing my, vocals. Not my favorite song on that. No, not... N- n- you no. know what it is, too? It's the fucking opening thing. The yeah. like, oh, mo, 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 mo. And yeah. it's like, I get that it's kind of the Beach Boys y kind of like yeah. fun shit, but like, when I hear that, I just, it's like my fucking, like, the, the pit in my stomach, like, just, uh, it, it, it's yeah. not that it's bad, it's just that noise. I yeah. don't know what it is. No, it, I'm completely with you. Ooh. Maybe that's, maybe that's her fucking maybe portion it is. of that. It's gotta be. Interesting. Now, Obviously, this is the last. It's the last record with Richie. Now he claims, and I don't know if John ever discussed it on his version, but Richie left because he wasn't getting his cutted T-shirt sales. He thought they were selling a fucking lot of T-shirts with his name on it, and this was unequivocally his era of the Ramones, and he wasn't seeing any of it. Any of it, and he was, I think, rightfully. You know, I think he was do something, but he wasn't getting it. But do you think it's so hard because we're like, it seems like John gave him some some of the reins to control. And then, but at the same time, like, did he think Richie was just a placeholder? You know, it's tough, too, because going into this as well, it's like we know the we know the fucking fabled story of like, you know, Clem Burke, a.k.a. Elvis Ramon attempting to fill in for Mark on some of those dates that they filled in. So I think. There was a. They were in flux, and they were trying to fucking figure out who the fuck is going to replace Mark. Do I think that Joey thought that Richie was a placeholder? I think maybe at first, but after then he seeing, saw what he provided. But, but he saw what he provided. Provided a lot more of a stability, b fucking speed and raw energy, but c creative input. 
And I think that those three things combined, that is, I don't know. I, especially even though Dee Dee was still the head writer, I think John maybe saw that Dee Dee was, especially when, I think probably during Too Tough to Die, he saw Dee Dee might be descending. So that's why he's like, we need someone else that one could probably possibly write, but can hold it together, have ideas, like hold it together. I need someone else because it. Not that Joey didn't do that, but I feel like Joey was more like a more of a team player than he was a leader. Yeah. Well, and and, and that's just that's kind of the moles, the archetypes that like exist yeah. within the Ramones, and I don't know. It's. It's sad. I, I really would have been interested to see what the band would have sounded like had Richie stuck it out. So, from from what I've accumulated was Richie was doing sideshows, drumming on different things in New York City and stuff, and was getting paid like certain amount of money here and there. And Johnny was a little resentful that he was doing other shit. You can't, but. Dude. But then he, Richie left, left him high and dry. Oh, see, well, see, that's kind of shitty. He left him because he says, well, if you don't want to pay me, I'm out. So he left, enter the short-lived Clem Burke. That was a Clem Burke. That was a Clem Burke. Alvis Ramon. See, I always thought it was, I always thought it was opposite. I always thought it was like Mark not showing up, Clem Burke, Richie. I didn't know it was fucking opposite. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Regardless of that fact, um, how do you how awkward do you think that that conversation was between fucking Mark and John? Hey, you want you want to be back in on this? I think Marky Ramon was definitely like just thanking his lucky stars that he got a call back. Fuck yeah. But I I think they were on I know that there's there's talk that he was on a trial basis. That that Johnny wasn't just gonna let him back in the band. It was gonna be like it was before. He was obviously on a trial basis. You know what I mean? They were gonna see what happened. I would say rightfully so. Yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. A dude not showing up for fucking gigs. Like, come on now. But it's uh, you know, obviously Clem Burke. I think he only played. I want to say he only played three shows or something like that. He it was could not keep up. No. <laughs> No, he was just he said he said it like I think he said it on the end of the century yeah. one. He's just like he's like it was a, a not I was out of my wheelhouse. And and look, I I haven't seen a lot of like live Blondie footage, so I have no basis of I I have no frame of reference when it comes to how well he plays live. Obviously, on the studio, it's like he sound he's but good luck trying to you go from playing up. Heart of Glass and then you're playing Warhog. Durango 95 and, you know, 53 seconds, you know, like, yeah. come on now. So, I mean, what's your, what's your feelings out of those three records that Richie was on? What are your feelings, if you had to rank those three? I think it would be Too Tough to Die, Halfway to Sanity, Animal Boy. Too Tough to Die being the best. I'd do that, that too, yep, that's me. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> well, it's like it's tough because it's it's only three albums, but I think it's interesting that with Animal Boy being the weaker of the three, how it kind of went in that literally in that order. Yeah, here's what we did. You know, our second one was kind of like meh, and then it's like you know, Halfway to Sanity is fucking solid. That's a solid fucking album. Yeah. Everything on there is great. So. 
Richie's out. Clemberg mm-hmm. steps in. Can't keep up. He goes back to fucking where he came from. Uh, <laughs> and then enter Markey. And then we have uh, Brain Drain. Which, since the recording of our last episode, we figured out that DD did not play on any of Brain Drain. How ridiculous. Daniel Ray played at bass on the whole record. Could have fooled fucking me. It's, Could have fooled it, me. It's it's crazy. It did fool me, actually. <laughs> it's uh it's it's weird because there was so much controversy surrounding it, because I remember we talked like what was Dee's involvement with Brain Drain? Like so obviously I mean it's so funny, like Brain Drain. Obviously he was I think it probably at his height of heroin use. Oh yeah. At this point. And he obviously couldn't keep it together enough to to play. Luckily, I think we ended up with some killer fucking tracks that he wrote, yeah, as well as Daniel Ray. Um, so it's... Uh, and obviously this is the record that... Another one, I think it's in, in some ways glossed over a little bit. Uh, like with most is, of most of their eighties, like mid to late eighties records. I think this is a fucking heavy fucking record. Oh yeah, it definitely. It's awesome, dude. I, I remember when I, when I first heard this. It's like, apart from like fucking I believe in miracles. It's like and obviously Pet Cemetery. It's like Zero Zero UFO is a fucking great song. Oh yeah, and it's that classic. Just the way it starts with the drums and stuff, and then the guitar coming in. That is a classic Ramones. That's an early Ramones formula type song. Yeah. But now it's a little bit fucking faster and it's a little bit heavier sounding. It's just, it's interesting that that also was wasn't was that their last record with Sire or was yeah that was it that was it because then they what went to fucking they fulfilled or whatever they fulfilled their agreement with Sire by in ninety one. I believe releasing those uh, all the stuff and more one and two, oh, yeah, and that completed their obligation to sire. Okay, I don't know. Yeah. I I think I think you're right. Not to not to step back, but like I think you're right that this is another one of those that often gets overlooked. Oh yeah. Even though Pet Cemetery is on there, and that is a fucking. I don't want to say that when like people think of Ramones, it's like they think of that song in particular, but that's a it's a great fucking a song. A lot of people were introduced to the Ramones, I think, by that song, myself being one. Um, and I think it's obviously any song that a band has in a movie, especially of same name, you're automatically tied to it. And when you have a movie that's released by Paramount Studios, it's what a huge studio production. It's a it was a very famous book as well that mm-hmm. King wrote. So. You're, they tapped into a whole nother, a whole nother thing. Because how many people saw that movie in theaters, heard that song, and said, "Oh, Ramones, I'm gonna go look them up." I guarantee a, a decent amount. Oh yeah, and and not only that, but like the fact that it's like there's there's another Ramones song that exists within the film as well. Yeah. So it's like a that's a nod, obviously, like Stephen King and Ramones having the shared interest in each other, but it's like. I don't know. I think there's something to be that. That is a great fucking example of a title track to a movie, like a song that's a title track to a fucking film. And yeah, it's great. So, uh, 
And so, let's see, 89. Mm-hmm. We're at 89. Uh, the record comes out in March. March. Uh, CJ starts touring on this record. If I'm not mistaken, I think he starts touring during the touring cycle. He takes over because Didi did little to no touring on Brain Drain. Yeah. Um, I don't think he, he might not have done any, but what's your favorite track? Brain Drain. On Brain Drain, out of my, see on my list, it's like, I had like, I wrote these four down, even though it, I guess it's potentially in order. Definitely Pet Cemetery. I think, is just my favorite. Not only because I, I have a, a huge respect for Stephen King and just what he represents, but it is it is a fucking great song. Um, Zero Zero UFO, number two, fucking awesome. I Believe in Miracles, I think, is a fucking phenomenal song. Yeah. It's fucking solid. It it's almost has that something to believe in song, but a little mm-hmm. a little more of an edge on it. I'm going Pet Cemetery, obviously. Uh, I mean, it's just undeniable. That's definitely my favorite track. I love the album art, and I want to say that this is the first record that they weren't on. The cover. Right? No. No. Pleasant Dreams. Pleasant Dreams, yes, that's right. Uh, Yeah. How the fuck did I forget that one? No, but I mean, that's... You're right, though, because, I mean, with the exception of, of Pleasant Dreams, it's like... Every other fucking, even Animal Boy, which I know we didn't talk about it. That album artwork is fucking silly it's as fuck. Strange. It's strange. <laughs> it's terrible. It's so strange, but I love it. Oh, it's, oh, it's great. Um, it looks like it was taken at Burnett fucking Park uh, Do or no, whatever. No, for real. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, and like I, I, I know we talked about this one in the original uh, ep- the first episode we did, but the fact that. The fact that, um, sorry, uh, the, the fact that, uh, Marky, when I met him last year, he said, this isn't, no, no, there wasn't two versions of the song, there was just a different mix. Well, it sounds a lot, well, there's a fucking extremely different mix if it wasn't a different version. And it's because it says, it says Bill Laswell version. So I want to say it was re- it was recorded because I read that it was re-recorded, you know, for because it was licensed to the movie initially. It was re-recorded to be released elsewhere and needed to be re-recorded. When you say re- like re-released or released elsewhere, are we talking like this would be like the UK? Or yes, the G- G- over like f- whatever Southeast Asia, like that. Yes, yeah, because the single that I have with the Bill Laswell version yep. is a UK pressing, and that's right. So I don't know what the logistics are behind it, like what, what was what or whatever. I still gotta fucking hear this. I gotta hear this version. Yeah, because like I, I remember when you like text me about it. You're like, dude, I've, I've literally listened to this song like four times in a row. I sat in front of my fucking record player and like listened to this because it's it's undeniably different. It's like how many times you sit down and you hear a fucking song and you're like, oh, it's it's so and so's mix and it yeah. sounds virtually the same. It's yeah. like this is noticeably fucking different, you know. And that's no that that that's something that's like that's interesting that you know and the and the and the the plot just thickened when Marky's like no it's the same song it's just a different recording maybe you didn't play on it. I was just gonna maybe say. you were hanging with Didi yeah. <laughs> but uh, 
regardless, this is, uh, you know, enter CJ around this time. So this is interesting because I actually heard him. He did an interview for like Fender or whatever, and it was on YouTube, and I found this a couple months ago. Was it the thing that it's like it's him talking about his gear and shit, and it, it's like... Then he talks about how he got arrested for breaking his... Did you hear this? He See, I, all I did, I saw the first section of that whole interview where... It's I believe it was the same thing through Fender, but it's him yeah. talking about his gear. Yeah, and then and then it leads into that. I didn't see the second part, but I did see the first part. So like, so he like was in the military. Are you talking the des- when he was deserted? Yeah, yeah. And he got picked up and he got arrested after he went to because someone he knew said, "Hey, the Ramones are trying out bass players. Well, I'll go there. I'll check it out." He goes there. He crushes it. He uh, he hears back from him. He's getting ready. He goes, okay, well, learn these songs. We're going. We're leaving for tour in two weeks. In between that time, he gets picked up for fucking going AWOL or whatever. He gets arrested by the military police. So he calls fucking uh, Johnny, thinking like, oh, I blew it. Done. He isn't going to do anything. They sort it out. <laughs> he gets out of there. And fucking, they give him an honorable discharge, and then he fucking goes right from there, from you know, from there, right in oh fucking enter being a Ramon, which uh, he kept them. It was a shot that they needed, especially after losing Didi. You needed someone young. You needed someone with a lot of energy to withhold what their live show had become. Mm-hmm. So, and I think this is a, this was a solid fucking lineup is Johnny, Joey, Marky, and CJ. And what, you know, and, and obviously this is the longest break they'd had between studio records. Cause you got to think brain drain 89. Mm-hmm. And then they had the, the best ofs, the, all the stuff in more volume one and two yeah. that got released in 90, I think 90 and 91. And then 92. Mondo Bizarro. Yeah. So, and obviously this is the first record that CJ plays on. Mondo Bizarro. What is, do you remember the first time you heard a song or did you hear the record in full was time, uh, was the first time you heard Mondo Bizarro? It was definitely, it was one of those situations, same sort of thing. Um, I can't remember how old I was. It was probably early high school or whenever they had released that, you know, Weird Tales of the Ramones. And I'd seen like videos and stuff like that before, but it was definitely a track or, or two that I'd heard from that. And I remember noticing a change immediately in the, in, in the Ramones. I knew it was different, like out of the gates. I knew this this was not original OG type you know, up until this point, up until fucking even I would even put like brain drain in there. There was a noticeable change. Yeah, and and it was undeniable. Not only the fact that it's like okay, they're not on Sire who they got, they started off with. I don't know what that would have to do with like the recording and the audio quality, but there was something noticeably different, and that's what I think I noticed out of the fucking gates because even the songs on there, like I know that this is another one. Like this is another one that you you and I have, have talked about or you have specifically mentioned this album and it's like obviously yeah you know Poison Heart fucking amazing yeah. fucking song but for me I think it, the first time I had heard a song it was a single song it was not the album in its entirety 
excuse me, the first time, the first track I'd ever heard, coincidentally enough, was the fucking, the one goddamn cover that they have in there. Yeah. You can uh, take it as it comes. And it was actually, I'd seen a video um, of them playing it with uh, fucking Robbie Krieger of The Doors live. And it was, sounded terrible. (laughs) Um, It was just, the the audio recording was bad. It was like over the shoulder VHS recording and it was just like, like you couldn't hear anything. Yeah. now, what's this is the first time I heard anything from this was right around the time because I saw Pet Cemetery and then realized, you know, I'm young age, we're talking like maybe 93, 94, and then I realized that there's Pet Cemetery too. Fucking, I watched that on whatever, maybe there's Cinemax or fucking HBO or whatever the fuck, and real, and I hear fucking Poison Heart at the end, and I was just like, Oh shit, that sounds a lot like the original one. It's gotta be the same band. Sure as shit. Comes up, you know, Radioactive Records, fucking uh, Ramones, Poison Heart. So, you know, those movies single-handedly, like, and those two songs, I remember loving them. And I would, that was the only movies I'd ever watch the end credits to because I wanted to listen to the full fucking songs. And Poison Heart, I think, is, I think it's my favorite Ramones song of all time. Still. I think it's, is honest of a song that you could write, and I think that's Dee Dee at his purest form, being the poet that he always was. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, I mean, the influence of this band stretches beyond genres. There's a reason that that Ramones tribute album that came out, or Happy Family that came out, had the Red Hot Chili Peppers, had Kiss, had and the Metallica, Bret- had Rancid, Meta- yeah, the had Pretenders, me. fucking. Everyone, because their sound stretches so far to so many different genres. And there's rock bands, there's punk bands, there's grunge bands, there's metal bands, there's rock bands, there's pop Pop bands bands, that are all influenced by the Ramones. And guess what? There's a reason that the band Him has covered Poison Heart. There's a reason that the like Michael Graves has covered Poison Heart. There's a reason that fucking Rob Zombie, who we're going to get into whether or not him and Johnny or Ramona are related because they're both from the same city with the same last name and they were friends and worked together. Is it possible? They have the same last name, Cummings. That's their real last name. They're both originally from Massachusetts. And they're close. They're close. At least Linda is close, I, you know. With- I gotta be saying, I gotta, I've thought for the longest time that there was some kind of relation to them. Because Rob Zombie's always rocked the Ramones. He obviously helped put out that record. And he organized the fucking tribute to Giant Ramone. Yeah. That whole fucking... So, are they related and he just never... They've never said anything because he never wanted to be like, oh, he's a relative of a Ramone type thing. He had to be his own fucking person. And guess... Well, here's what's weird. Is there... Is Johnny Ramone from... Was he born in Massachusetts? Am I wrong there? Or is that right? I I thought he was... He was Forest Hill Queens kid. He, either way, Rob Zombie, I think, was born in Massachusetts. But guess what? He lived his whole childhood, and you know, White Zombie when they formed was in New York City. So it just seems odd that they were as close yeah, the, as they were. The last name, both last names are still are both Cummings. Like, well, and, that, and I just saw it the other day. It's like you know, on on social media and shit. It's like seeing pictures of like John, Linda, fucking. Uh, you know, Rob Zombie and, like, his wife, like, all of them together. Like, yeah. It's just, it's interesting. And I, there's, there's gotta be something there. There's gonna be something we're not fucking, you know, 
somebody's not telling us. And probably for reasons like you said, it's like he doesn't want to fly that flag being like, but at this point, it wouldn't matter, right? It wouldn't fucking matter. Because everybody's already respecting him for what he's accomplished in his career as yeah. Rob Zombie. Yeah. You know, not potential relative of, you know, a Ramon. So, uh, I, I've obviously already said that Poison Heart's my favorite song. Uh, but, with that said, we got to talk about, obviously, the first record of CJ appearing. He sings. Main man. Dude. Main man and strength to endure, dude. Strength to endure are fucking strength to endure, and main man are both two of my favorite fucking tracks of all the Ramones songs. I love those fucking songs. Strength to endure is fucking amazing, mm-hmm. and the, if strength to endure doesn't embody like what it takes to be a Ramon, like it, I. For somebody getting into the band, fresh off the boat, so to speak, to be able to capture it and, like you would point out, to, to embody what it is to be a fucking Ramon, I don't, I don't care if it's fucking Mark whose liver fucking <laughs> left him it's fucking decades pick, ago, pickled the hell, pickled the fucking hell. It, same with Joey, I guess at that point because I haven't heard necessarily great stories about Joey as he's gotten on his career. He's kind of you get into the sauce a little bit, yeah. But regardless, it's like for them not to to recognize that. Even John, is kind of a hard ass. It's like that is that's fucking that's amazing. This kid, this kid, he hasn't been on tour with us. He didn't walk around fucking Italy with Didi, who's looking to buy a fucking Rolex. You know, this kid is a fucking ex marine or whatever. You know, yeah, like, which no doubt helped him get into the band with John. John being a military school kid. Mm-hmm. I just I, I I think there's definitely something to be said for that. Somebody literally off the fucking street, writing shit like that and having it go over well. And again, I don't give a shit if you're one of those like OG fucking original Ramones fucking fans. If you can't fucking appreciate this, it not for you know what it is and what it is. It's fucking brilliant fucking work. It's great great artistic fucking poetry. It's great songwriting. The fact that Dee Dee was still writing for them at yeah, this that, point that too, I love. Um, and you know, something I always appreciated more so now about Johnny Ramone and the band as a whole is they were never afraid to pull punches. And I think that's why John didn't care. I feel like he was almost like that. Like, I think if he heard, once he heard the KKK took my baby away, that he's smart enough guy where it's just like, he was maybe Joey was hoping John would be like, "We're not fucking singing that." I know what that's about, motherfucker. But he was probably like, "I'll fucking." He's like, "I'll play it." He's just like, "Bother me? We'll fucking play it, and it'll be a hit." And then you got to think he's probably like, uh, "With Main Man, like that's obviously about Dee Dee fucking up." You know what I mean? Like it's it's one hundred percent about him fucking up. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in a cold jail cell shooting up dope and living in hell like uh it's uh he's got spunk he doesn't he's not afraid to fucking call it like it is nope and I love that the band never cared like there was no topic that they could write about that they'd be like no we're not putting that on a record Mm -hmm. and I love that John never turned his back and was just like no that's I'd like that he was like no that's what he was doing that's why he's not in the band anymore it was a fucking dope fiend like 
I love that. I love that they were come as you are. They don't have any. They don't pull any punches. Just brutally fucking honest. Yeah, gonna say it like it is, and I don't know. There's something to be said for that, especially nowadays. And not only that, but like, yeah, there's some veiled allegory in terms of some socio political shit that they may or may not have sung about. And fucking like Bonzo goes to Pittsburgh and shit. Like, yeah, but. When it really boils down to it, it's like they never fucking jumped ship to do the whole... And yeah, you know, Planet Earth, 1988, like shit like that. It's like... Yes, there there are some things that are they do sing about, but for the most part, they they were a fucking rock and roll band. Yeah. And didn't fucking get so swept up in a lot of that shit, which is very easy to do, especially more so now with what punk rock more or less, in some people's minds, turned into. Or, you know, making a political fucking statement or making a uh, stance about the socioeconomic situation of the fucking U.S. and the world and shit. They didn't, they stayed fucking away from that. Yeah. They kept true the fucking to rock and roll. And that's, I don't know. It's a rarity. It's a. Well, and it it showed itself in its songwriting too. Oh, 100%. So what's, uh, did I ask what your favorite song is on this one? Oh yeah, dude. It's, you didn't ask me, but I mean, without a doubt, Poison Heart. Yeah. And what's so great about that too is like if you if you were to show somebody who's never listened to Ramones, you show them that, and you say, okay, uh, I don't know. Let me just uh, phrase a question here. So it's like you show them that, and then it's like you show them something like I don't know. You show them like Commando or something, and it's like, so do you think this is the same band? Well, it sounds like the same singer. It's like, it's the same band, and that's a difference in whatever, fucking X amount of, you know, a decade and a half or something yeah. like that. Or whatever it was. It's fucking a decade's worth of difference. That's, that is that is one of the, the more well-written songs in their fucking catalog, but it's not, it's not a stripped-down fucking punk rock song. It's a great fucking rock song. Yeah. It's more than just, you know, the it typical trans- formula. It transcends, too. I mean, it's... This is probably as best as their songwriting ever was, too, mm-hmm. as far as, like... And I think if that song didn't break them into, you know, that level, nothing was going to... But they were going to stay together and still tour and despite anything. But it all, I feel like, too, that song also fit for what year it came out. Definitely. Yeah, you definitely. Know? It and it was It was like that... It almost has, like, that grunge tinge to it. As much as I hate the word, term, and genre of grunge. Not that I hate grunge. Bands are no, considered I grunge. Know, I know what you're saying. But like that whole like, yeah, we're going to wear flannels and yeah, we're not going to brush our hair. Hey, we're the Melvins. Yeah, we're mud honey. Hey, we're fucking yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, All right. But it's, uh, you know, there was a lot of bands that I think were really around that time. And Nirvana had never been shy about saying what fans of the Ramones they were, especially Kurt Cobain was a huge fan of the Ramones. He was a huge New Wave fan. That, oh, get this. So this was in that Ramones anthology booklet They that Cobain had pretty much said, like, you know, uh, fucking, what the fuck? I'm blanking on the name of the fucking song. Uh, what fucking song is it? What Nirvana song is it? Hey, wait. I got a real complaint. Um, Heart Shape Box? Yes, Heart Shape Box. That hey, wait, that's direct, that's derivative of wait, and now. Yes, really? Yes. What? 
That was a direct influence. God damn, okay. I gotta, like, listen to both of those now back to back just to be like, holy shit. And not even that it's like, sounds completely the same, but, like, that whole stylistic vocal phrasing, like, you know what I mean? Like, uh, he, I... I don't know if it, it if I'll have to get the booklet out and maybe take a picture of it to send you but it says in there that like that is a direct influence that he used was that song dude. Two Heart Shaped Box no it, dude it wasn't it wasn't Heart Shaped Box wait it wasn't Heart Shaped Box yeah it was the darkness Heart Shaped Box yeah oh yeah okay what? see yeah. when I fucking second guess myself I fucking dude I haven't listened to it Wow, it's but been, it's been look bit. at all those bands. I mean, Eddie Vedder inducted I were, them. I know that they were close to because at least with John, I think wasn't wasn't he right there or was it Joey? Someone was fucking right there for their death for fucking. Oh, I think Eddie Vedder was for John, right? Yeah, fucking Rob Zombie. I'm pretty sure was there too. Yeah. They're, I'm telling you, they're related. But, um, it's, uh, and you know, what's funny, I told you about a couple months before John died, he was on Steve Jones from the Sex Pistols podcast, or podcast, it wasn't even a podcast back then, it was fucking, whatever, radio show, radio Jonesy show, Shoebox. Yeah. Uh, Chris Cornell called in, and it's so funny, because John's painted so much as this, like, hard-nosed, like, condescending cocksucker for more lack of a better word like he's so painted as such like a dick but obviously we've watched those howard stern interviews like he seems like more together than any of them and more calm and collected than any of them and when chris cornell called in he's just like oh steve jones is like we got chris here on the phone like (laughs) and it's just like oh yes this is chris cornell from audio slave and and this is like he's like we know who you are dildo like he's just like (laughs) And like, but he, Chris Cornell was obviously like cool with him, but he was just like, uh, it was funny, like, Chris Cornell was just like talking to him for a second, and then he's just like, Johnny Ramone's like, I miss you, Chris. And then, uh, Chris Cornell's like, I miss you, John. And he's just like, we gotta get together soon. Like, just like, he was really, and he's had a quote before, and I know we're kind of getting off topic or whatever, but it's all, yeah. rel- it's all relative. Um, he said he uh, a quote John had was uh, if you could judge your your success in life by the quality and and the amount of friends you've had I've had a very successful life so he obviously had friends oh yeah despite what anybody said and despite like you know obviously the genre of punk and what they were at the forefront of in the seventies and obviously going on through the whole career and influencing. The grunge bands and Rancid and metal bands and Metallica and all this fucking shit. That a lot of this, you know, alternative music to the stuff that was on the radio, people lean more towards the liberal side. Despite him still staying his conservative ways, that never affected, you know, the kind of quality of person he is. I feel like when people saw the kind of quality of person he was, none of it mattered. But I feel like because he, him and Joey had that riff, that that's the only reason that that was ever brought up. Like, oh, John's a right-wing conservative. That's why they're not friends. No, they're not friends because Linda left Joey and went to John. And, and John 
didn't shoo her away. That's where their thing came from. And I I hate that they try to turn it like, Joey was a left-wing liberal and John was a right-wing conservative and that's why they fought. No, their issues were much deeper than political views and then that's why. Yeah, because you, you put those two, you put those things next to each other. It's like one of them is petty as fuck and the other one is actually like, like you said earlier, lives have been ended because of altercations like that. Yeah. You know, just literally. People have fucking killed themselves because of shit like that. Yeah. So it's uh, it's inter- it's interesting, and it's more, it's cool. It's interesting to talk about it and kind of like hash it out between two two fans to be like, no, it wasn't because of their political views. Everybody wanted to make it seem like it was because of their political views, but it wasn't. It was over a fucking girl. That's what it was over. And I mean, it is what it is, and I'm I'm glad that they stuck together despite it. And on those Howard Stern like shows, he's just like you two haven't looked each other in the in the eyes at all this whole time you've been in the studio. And it was very a funny and lighthearted moment where they both like did like a, a a side turn like twice like this like like a half head turn and then fully looked at each other and, like both smiled. <laughs> so you could tell that like deep down they definitely and obviously we've talked about when. They asked Johnny about Joey's death. He's like, of course I cared. I couldn't help but care. He was one of the Ramones. Like, I love the Ramones. Uh, so I think I think people, and it probably didn't help when it once it got to, like, stupid fucking publications like Spin or the Rolling, or, or Rolling Stone or anything, any of these magazines that want to just perpetuate feuds. Not that the Ramones were big enough to even get caught up in, like, an Axel versus Slash type feud you know where the the media and but still they look they they search for shit like that definitely blow it up and it's talk about you know talk about polarizing it's like you bring politics into any sort of fucking situation it's oh like, of yeah of course people are gonna be like oh yeah it's total that's definitely what it's gotta be oh 100 like, keep that shit out of there you know so but yeah this is you know 92 is uh they're off and they're off to the races and they're running you know what I mean? Their CJ is full. And, and I just found this out and I told you. After CJ had gotten, I want to say it was like 91, maybe it was 92. It, I think it was, it was 92 actually. CJ was riding his Harley around and broke his arm. I think it was at a show, at an arena. And he told John, he goes, listen, I'm fixing this bike up. In four years, I'm done. And John said, that's okay, we'll be done by then. We'll be wrapped up. So he said, okay, and we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that later. But that conversation was had, as CJ had said, and I just found this out recently. But anyway, so, you know, they're tearing things up. You're obviously in the core of the, the grunge movement. 92 to 94 is probably its biggest, you know, oh, yeah. years for sure. And 91, you know, obviously when Nevermind came out in two, till 94 when Cobain died. But, you know... Seattle Sound fucking in full... Oh, yeah. Not to mention all the other shit that was going on around that anyway, but... Yeah. So then we have Acid Eaters, which was a cover album. Now, we're going to gloss over this just because it is an original material, and I wasn't, like... I wasn't a huge fan of it, but that's because I'm honestly... I mean, this sound... Some people take this the wrong way, but... uh, I mean, I... Somebody to love the Jefferson Airplane track. I I love that. Their cover of that. But I'm not a huge 60s mark. I like Hendrix, um, and I like some stuff from the Stones, but I'm not a huge Stones guy either. 
I was never... Listen, I respect everything the Beatles have done. Mm -hmm. I think they have fucking amazing songs. I think Paul McCartney's one of the... If that is still Paul McCartney. I don't know if you've ever heard that. Oh, of course. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. Um, But I'm not a huge... 60s, the whole hippie Mm -hmm. thing, like, just rubs me the wrong way. It makes me feel like, just like... No, don't get away from me. You smell like the truly. Just hear, just, just hearing like some of the music from the sixties, and just I just internally, just in my mind and my nasal passions start smelling patchouli. I'm just like, oh, can we get to the seventies already, please? Dude, I, I literally when I was going through and just trying to revisit some of this in preparation, it's like by the time I got to like Acid Eaters, I was like. Oh boy! Oh, uh, have you ever seen the rain's a great cover? Yeah, th- I mean that's what I. I mean literally that's what I wrote down. I wrote down. You know, I, I, have you ever seen the rain? I I, I love CCR. I think John Fogerty oh, is an amazing one hundred percent. The band is fucking the, the whole uh, band is solid. I've said for years if I was ever going to do a movie on my life, the opening credit song would be Born on the Bayou. Nice, <laughs> great fucking song. Um. But yeah, obviously the Jefferson Air, uh, Jefferson Airplane shit. But apart from that, I literally had to search for like shit to write down on there because I just didn't like it. I I never, I too was never a huge '60s person. Apart from the shit that you had mentioned, like I said, I, I have a soft spot for the Doors, um, and obviously you know Hendrix and shit, and you know certain elements of Pink Floyd, but more of their '70s stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we don't we don't necessarily need to dive into, into no. any of that. So, I mean, they're touring pretty relentlessly. South America. South America Dude. was so huge for them. I mean, they were the Beatles of South America. Yeah. And it's nuts, too. It's like, it seemed, in the one thing that I thought was interesting that they did highlight a little bit um, in End of the Century, and I, I, I don't think they mentioned it in Raw as much, because Raw was more like, you know, Mark's own videos. Yeah. But, like, in End of the Century, it's sad. And I, I can't remember who had pointed out. I don't remember if it was Daniel Ray or, or somebody had mentioned it. But it's it's the fact that, like, Ramones go from booking fucking th- tens of thousand seat arenas in fucking Buenos Aires and fucking wherever. South America. And then they come back to the States and they can't get booked at a fucking, like, 150 person venue in New Jersey. It's like, it's just weird how that shift happens now that they're in the twilight of their career. They're now reaching out overseas and they're playing these huge ass fucking venues and back at you know back in the home turf it's like, the fuck yeah you know, they can't even get shows and fucking whatever I know it's unfortunate that they never really broke into that other level until of course I mean I guess at, at the very end that's and... why but that's what happens though I mean you look at all these bands that someone dies like. And their fucking, their iTunes, like, fucking downloads, like, spike, like, go fucking crazy, like, you know what I mean? And that's what it took. I mean, it took Joey Ramone dying. I mean, granted, I think that they were, it needs to be 25 years after your first album. So the first album came out in, they actually went in a year after they were eligible to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But I think you had a lot of people that were pushing for them from the get-go. You know what I mean? You have endless amounts of bands that were influenced and inspired by them for anywhere from Pearl Jam and Nirvana to Guns N' Roses to I mean just endless amounts of bands so maybe that helped them but it was a shame that Joey didn't live to to see that induction. I know that that was important you know and they, they even mentioned in the fucking speech like that this is something that was important to Joey yeah being inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame like that's you know that's it yeah but Obviously, Adios Amigos comes out a year before their official end, a year and a month or so. So, 
Ah, uh, adios amigos. Uh, it seems like I, I feel like they incorporated a little bit of everything from their career on this record. Uninten- I think it was unintentional, but they did it. Oh, I fucking love this album. I fucking love this record. And I think sonically, in terms of like how it, how it was produced and mixed and like listening to end result, I think it was fucking awesome. Yeah. It's solid. You know, that's the one thing that like they kind of danced around a little bit with, with recording and mixing and editing and all this shit their entire fucking career. And like if you listen to Adios Amigos now, especially in headphones, obviously in a car it's going to sound amazing, but like you get a good pair of headphones you listen to this album, like it sounds fucking crisp. Yeah. Like it, and it's just great. I don't know, man. And then you have, you know, like it opens with I Don't Want to Grow Up, which is, uh, you know, I think that's intentionally probably placed there because like they knew this was going to be obviously with the title this this is going to be the last record this is going to be it like and do they have to grow up at this point after once the band's done so how about the the last track born to die in berlin Mm -hmm. great fucking song heavy but it's like it's interesting that like that's the last song on the last record especially with like the nods to germany that like Didi would do every once in a while oh yeah it's just it's an interesting take on a, on a fucking a whole fucking career, let alone their last record, you know. Yeah. Um, Crusher, fucking phenomenal. That's my that is my favorite song. That's my favorite that's my too. Favorite. I mean, there's nothing better than writing a wrestling song. Yeah. I mean, come on. And it's sung by CJ too. Yeah, like, exactly. Um, just as an aside, I know I, we talked about this before we recorded. So when I when I did get to see fucking CJ live, we saw him up in Vermont. He's, like, going through, and he's, like, you know, okay, what do you guys want to hear? And, of course, like, I'm, like, and there's maybe, I'm, I'm going to say, being uh, liberal with the numbers, there was maybe, like, 35 people there, 30 people. Like, it was not a busy That's show. That's unfortunate. Not a busy show. And, of course, I yell out, like, Crusher, and I can fucking, I could probably, like, reach out and grab this dude's, like, ankle. You know, I'm, like, right here. He's, like, nah, he's, like, I'm not going to play that. And so it goes into something else. I don't even remember what the fuck he went into, but something <laughs> off the new album or whatever. But um, I got to have a. I spoke with him briefly after the show, and because like of course it's like I'm meeting one of my fucking idols for a second. You know, we do a shot and we're just kind of bullshitting for you know whatever five minutes. Yeah, just kind of talking. I was like, yeah, I was like, hey, I'm sorry, I was one of those people. He's like, no, nah, man. He's like, don't worry about it. He's like, I want to play the Ramones music that I didn't get to be part of. And he's like, and I want somebody else to play my era of the, the Ramones. Because I don't want to play the shit that I already played with them. I want to play the shit that like I didn't get to write. You know, yeah. if you can follow Which that logic. Cool. And, and, and it helped explain it a little bit more from my own end so I didn't seem like that fuck. Yeah. It's like, you know, I want to hear you Crusher. And it's like, no. Like, so, and I had a, I had a different level of respect for, for, for him having gone to that show and yeah. seeing that live. Um, but so, yeah. so, uh, they're touring nonstop through '95 mm-hmm. into '96. Now, I think the band was supposed to end before the summer tour, but for whatever reason, either it was '95 or whatever, you know, CJ had told John like, "I'm, I'm done in four years." In '92, he said that, and he said. Well, we got an offer to do Lollapalooza. Like, you want to do it? Or, you know, and, and TJ said, you can find this video on YouTube. Uh, he said, well, why don't you get Tommy and Dee Dee to do the last tour? 
end it the way you started it. I think that would be good. And he's like, no, no, I want to do it with you. Like, want to do it this way. This is how I want to do it. He goes, okay, well, I'm do- I'll am do. i do it, but I'm doing it my way. And I'm riding my, I'm riding my Harley to <laughs> all the shows. I'm not on your time. I'm on my time. And I'm doing the set. Like, I'll be there for the check for the sound check and i'll be there for the show he goes okay well if you miss john goes well okay if, well, if you miss a if you miss a show i'm docking you a week's pay to which cj <laughs> responded okay and then set you know told in the in the video a week's pay was 700 dollars. i wasn't too worried about missing a week's pay <laughs> and, and if that doesn't make you think that that fucking john respected CJ just for saying standing up to him a because I have a fucking I have a, a belief that like for, throughout his career as being the more or less the leader of that group John yeah there probably wasn't a lot of people that exist within that group that really stood up to him you know and no, told no. him the way it was yeah so for for this fucking ex-marine kid telling him like it is I'll be there to play. I'll be there for sound check, but I'm riding my bike. I'm on my own fucking time. Yeah. You can't tell me for a second John didn't fucking... In his head, he grinned. Like, motherfucker. I Like, you know, the the the, the souls recognizing each yeah. other kind of shit. Yeah. Like, you're a no-nonsense dude, and I fucking love that because I'm the yeah. same fucking way. It's just... And they makes def- you love the guy. It definitely seemed like they had a... More than any other of the members, they had a father-son relationship. Absolutely. Seems, for sure. Do you um, think, do, I I can't remember where I'd seen that, but do you think that that took kind of a I don't want to say a mental toll on Joe, but like to see their new guy kind of being not so much just because I've heard CJ talk about it a little bit, and him him and Joey were very he was very close with Joey too, and him and Mark always got along. I don't think him and Mark I don't think CJ had you know any kind of weird thing with anybody, but. It seemed like he did get along well with Joey. And if you listen to uh, one of the CJ so- solo songs that I love is Three Angels. Great. Great Which is a great song. fucking song. And it's such a like nice storytelling song about, you know, about Dee Dee, Joey, and Johnny. Uh, which is, it's it's very fitting. And you could tell he definitely had a good relationship and a close relationship with all those. Maybe John more than anyone else. But nevertheless, I think him and Joey did have have a, a good a good relationship too. But you know they obviously tour till ninety six, bang it out and just keep going, and then they end it. And the last show, it's interesting that their last show that they had so many they allowed so many cameos. It was more of a celebration of the Ramones than it was like. Well, this is the last show, and I've got to fucking see each other again because they did see each other on a few different occasions. Not playing, of course, because that was the official last Ramon show. But the fact that I love that—that that just goes to show they gave, they give back to the people. Like, how cool is that? Because I don't care what anybody says. You'd be like, well, because I feel like if they were dicks, they would have just played, and that would have been it. But they wanted the people that were friends. And, you know, people that they inspired and influenced wanted them to be a part. You know, you have Lars up there singing 53rd and 3rd. You have Lemmy coming out there and singing. <laughs> which is amazing. Awesome, dude. I love that. I love watching them all together. Oh, yeah. So fucking great. And you have uh, Eddie Vedder. 
Dee Dee fucking Dee Dee love kills. Uh, but if that isn't like the perfect it's, like way to end, like how like Dee Dee's lovable craziness, like that's just me. That's who I am. It's all hunched over yeah. on the mic, just totally. It's just amazing. Now let me ask you this, because like I, I was, I, I've talked with Hannah a little bit about it. What are your thoughts on them deciding to end the fucking their end their fucking career across the fucking country? Not in New York. I don't know. Now, she, Hannah had an interesting, like, kind of theory about it that it's like maybe in their mind the idea of playing in California and being in California that may or may not have been making it. That was the. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I can like, definitely see because that. Because for the longest time, it's like, oh, you want to make it, you got to go out west. You want to make it, you got to go out west. You, you want to make it, you got to go out west. We know that's a fucking lie, but, mm-hmm. like, you know, it's that, that idea. So, it's, like, for them, for product of, like, the fucking, like, 50s and 60s and shit like that. I think maybe they maybe they thought they gave enough to New York City. That's I mean, true. You know what I mean? And they did have one of the last shows on that live tour was in New York City that they recorded the Ramones live, Greatest Hits Live. Yep. Um, you know, and which, on the CD case... They have the statue, or on the C- actual art on the actual CD is the Statue of Liberty. Um, so I think maybe it was them just not breaking in New York where they're like, oh, what? So I imagine someone's like, you know, Monty or someone's probably like, well, why? Well, we got to end it in New York, right? And then John probably saying something. This is just hy- hypothesizing, like, uh, theorizing, like, why we got to end it in New York? He's like, We've had great shows in LA. Like California is the land, you know, that's where you you want to go to make it. Like and there's a reason John is has a statue at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. You right. know what I mean? So It's I, just it's it's interesting to have a band that like literally is East Coast fucking from the time they started playing to the time they ended and like they ended out there, but Maybe that, it was something as simple as them wanting all those artists to be there. And they're all West Coast. Dudes. And they're all West Coast. I mean, Lemmy didn't live in well, UK. Yeah. He lived in LA at yeah. that point. He moved there in the early '90s, so they're all out there. Um, but I don't think they never adhered to anything that anybody had to say. They did it their terms, their way, all the time. So if John got a wild hair up his ass, it's like, no, I'm not doing it in New York. Played enough shows in New York. We'll end in LA. Why? Because we want to. That's probably how exactly how literally it's as simple as that. Yeah, it's just I don't know. I I thought that I just thought that that something like that's interesting. It's an yeah. interesting choice. You know, definitely. In uh, a great fucking live, like oh yeah, the, the whole album and like even the video that accompanies it too is just it's oh yeah, it's fun. amazing. It's fun, and I love that art. That like rat fink type art. We're out of here. Yeah, like, it's great. Yeah. Uh. So. Now that we've kind of got through the, their discography, now we move into. I'll ask you a few questions, and we'll bounce some answers off each other. What do you think's the best post Ramones release? That obviously not a full Ramones release, but is there a CJ record that you put up there with the best something that's come out after the band broke up? Is it the Joey solo record? You know what's interesting. Um... I would say that, like, so CJ's recent uh, release, American Beauty, and I don't know how much you've listened to it. I've listened to it. It's, it's, a, it's a solid fucking I love it. It's a solid fucking record. And even his earlier shit that he had put out, 
um, prior to this, because I think he's got like what three or four records before America. Yeah, he's got what's the one Reconquista. Yep. Um, and I know before that, after the Ramones, he did a band called Bad Chopper, which he had a few releases with. I say I didn't listen to any of that. Yeah. Um, regardless, to answer your question, I definitely, I mean, American Beauty probably just because A, it's the most recent, so sonically it sounds amazing. Yeah. Um, but even Joey's solo stuff too, like, it was great because it's, that's the closest substitution for Ramones. Yeah. You know? And that was Joey's swan song too because he recorded that while he was sick. He was diagnosed with lymphoma mm-hmm. cancer in like 94 or 5 or 6 or something like that um and then he ended up obviously dying in 2001 but what was uh i I'd probably say the Joey record because I remember when that That's came out but a close second very close second is the is the Richie Ramone uh entitled record it's, so that's the most recent one that he re- he released. No, was he released. First, was it the first one? That was the first of like you know his run. Uh, he released an album last year called Cellophane. Yep. Um, but that entitled I love because he does like uh, smash you. He has those ones and he has like the song entitled. Um, and he's just got he's got great like songs on that and I love his renditions with his vocals. I think his vocals are fucking amazing especially on that record well he i i I just like his voice and it's it's interesting to see the different it's like the different edges and like what the ramones could potentially be and how they how they presented themselves in terms of singers yeah it's like because the most part it's like obviously like yeah it's like you think ramones songs you think fucking joey but it's like for me it's like i love fucking dv you know said a fucking bunch of times during this but it's like now then to take you add in cj into the mix you add somebody like richie too it's like that is fucking great that you have this band that span fucking generations and it's like they're not just fucking limited to one fucking singer. No. It's not just one dude that does it the whole fucking time. Yeah. And you get these great fucking, you know, these spinoffs, these solo records as a fucking result of that because they still want to do music. Like, I don't know. There's, I think that that's fucking, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. What, and uh, something I love is how much I appreciate and I, as I know you do too, each Ramon, whether, you know, from the original four to Marky to CJ to Richie, but I think without, I don't know who you would have had in there. You could get a million different drummers and I'm glad that Marky came back in the band, but I'm not sure who you could have got to take Dee Dee's place to keep that band going. Without mm-hmm. CJ, I don't see them finishing as strong as they did he was a huge component to that their last run being so great yeah and for sure and i i don't know i think it's it's a good question you bring in this young kid who's who's pretty much an unknown he fits the look he fits the image you know but an updated version you know yeah younger version he's got tattoos he's you know he's kind of gangly um you know just it works yeah he's he's got the speed he can back it up and he can fucking write so i don't know apart from getting a fucking known a a known in there and who who that would have been i don't fucking know yeah but like but another thing cj said too like the beginning of the show they were throwing quarters at him and flipping him off and chanting dd and then by the end of the set they were chanting cj 
Really? Because he just let him have it right back and just kept fucking plugging along. See, that's the shit right there, man. That's the shit. So okay, so your 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 fave fave kind of like one off, uh, Joey's Joey's album there, his last or his fucking one and only fucking album. I've heard the What a Wonderful World cover on a, in a few different movies, yep. which is is fun. I love that that popped up in a few different movies. Uh, some. I'm trying to think of that record now. Maria Batriamo. I fucking love that song. Uh, What's happening on Wall Street? Like, I just love fucking uh, his story, his way of uh, storytelling. And uh, Spirit of My House, like, great riff. Like, uh, Joey just, he's one of the greatest songwriters or, or melody writers, I should say. Oh, yeah. um, you know, because Dee Dee really was the primary songwriter. I mean, Joey wrote stuff, um, but just Joey's way to make something with those crooning vocals and the melodies that he had. And, like, when you listen to something like Chasing the Night, like, Chasing the Night. And then, like, you could do something that can play off that so well with Howling at the Moon. Like, I, I don't know. He was just such a unique... And that was my first introduction into, like, really, truly loving a singer. That was the first singer that I really loved. Oh, yeah. And and it's such a distinct... And, look, obviously, band's big thing is fucking identity. Who are we? What is our sound? What do we represent in our time and place? And that voice. Fucking, that's, that is... Whatever. For lack of better terms, that's a voice of a fucking generation and a movement. Without trying to sound like the fucking, like, some sort of, you know, this isn't fucking the hippie movement and shit, our voice generation shit like that. But, like, Joey's voice is so goddamn distinct. Yeah. You know? The, there's I don't know. No, there's no replica. There's no one that's shit. ever sounded like him. There's no one that he's ever sounded like. And it's one of the most original voices in rock and roll of all time. Look, I'm sorry. You, you put any British fucking singer up there, especially in a punk band... With the exception of Lemmy. I'll, I'll put I'll put that as a fucking... He's the fucking wild card. Yeah. They all kind of... They have the ability to sound to blend in a little. Oh, yeah. Definitely, you know? Definitely. But it's like... That is... Joey's voice is fucking... It's, it was a combination of his influences and the fucking... The, the, the love songs and the surf shit and fucking all that stuff. That, that all melded into fucking what created his voice. It's fucking... That's it. Yeah. You know? And, uh, you know, obviously now... There are no original Ramones left. There are only two drummers. If you're not counting Clem Burke, there are two drummers. <laughs> um, and CJ left. Yeah. You know, the Ramones are officially... The original Ramones are no longer. Um, now, what... I mean, this is... I guess it's kind of an odd question, but... Do you remember... I remember... Do you remember when Joey died? Do you remember when that happened? I remember getting my mom had taken a uh, newspaper clipping out for me because she did the same thing when um, when John or uh, yeah when John passed. And uh, well, I remember when he died because he died Easter Sunday. And I remember like I was like, oh my god, that sucks! Like that fucking sucks so bad. And I remember this is the first time. I was just like, and I was into the Ramones, but I, 
I loved the Ramones at that point, but I didn't love them. I was like, my love was still growing because mm. I hadn't heard everything, but I'd heard enough to know right then already that they were my favorite band. Mm-hmm. But I, there was still so much in the 80s that I hadn't dived into because I at the time I only had the anthology set still. Yeah. I was just listening to all that stuff. But I remember like being like, I was like, fuck, I'll never, I'll never see them now. No. It's out of the question. And I remember, I remember when Dee Dee died, I was in school and I literally left class because someone said like, oh, like some Ramon died or something like that. And I remember I got up in the middle, like left. I was like, I'm going to the bathroom. And I went down to the media center in Canastota High School <laughs> and like just got on the thing and printed it off on CNN, went to CNN.com because I was just like, what? Like MTV still hadn't posted anything, but CNN had it. And I remember going there and printed it off like him, like standing on his Hollywood Hills, like balcony, like him standing there and printing off the article saying, you know, Dee Dee died. And I was like, oh shit, that's crazy. Cause just a couple months prior, I watched him get inducted into, I think, I think just like a month or two prior, I watched him get inducted to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yeah. So I was like, oh shit. Like, uh, you know, and then when Dee Dee died, you're like, Jesus Christ. And it was around that time. I wrote my. I started writing my very first songs ever. My very first song, I can't remember the name of it, and I, and I vaguely remember some of the lyrics. But the first song I ever wrote was about the Ramones, you know. Uh, so it's that shows the kind of influence. The first song that I ever wrote in my entire life was probably when I was fourteen years old after Dee Dee Ramone died, and I had to write about Joey and Dee Dee being dead. Because, you know, two of my favorite musicians were no longer alive. Part of my favorite band. And I can't... I had to get my, those emotions out. So, literally, there are so many things. And I know you can relate to this. That the Ramones are connected to in our lives. That are so integral and important to the people that we are today. Mm-hmm. The, you know, the first lyrics I ever wrote as a... As a, you know... Quote unquote song Dude, as writer. a fucking musician. Stop, as a, stop fucking as a, downplaying it. As a... Fuck. You know... <laughs> Someone who's been in bands who's, like, you know, toured lightly, but toured. You toured. And and music is such a, the the pinnacle of, you know, it it is who I am. Music is. But to think that that band, that's when I always think, like, without a doubt, the Ramones are my favorite band of all time. But to think how integral they are, that my first song that I ever wrote was about them. You know what I mean? Like, that's, like, that's beyond influence. That's beyond a band's influence. Oh, yeah. And, and not only that, but it's, like, look, it's, like, there could be these these one-off groups that, like, you know, whatever, you get into for a few years, or it's something you listen to for fucking, since you, start, since you discover them, it's, like, oh, I'll pop this on every once in a while. But it's, like, because their catalog is so fucking vast... And it's like, okay, what's the big thing about music? Well, music is based on mood. What I'm into at that exact time. Yeah. When you have such a fucking huge catalog to choose from, and it's not that every single fucking song in their catalog is the same. Because they went through so many different fucking versions and iterations of themselves. It's great because you can find a Ramon song for any fucking situation, yeah. any scenario, in any fucking mood. I don't care what... I don't care how you want to fucking argue that. When it boils down to it, you fucking can because there's so much to fucking choose from. And that's what's great. They're fucking timeless. You know? It is. It's timeless music. And like I said, they stretch beyond the bounds of just simply being an influential band. They, you know, 
it's so hard to, you know, the the logo, the ripped jeans, mm-hmm. the Converse, the leather jackets. They transcended style, music, influence. It's into movies. You know what I mean? Oh like, yeah. It's Fucking commercials. Exactly. Yeah, it's I just, mean, it's it's kind of unprecedented. I don't think there's a band like them with that kind of influence. And you could probably and there's people that'll go around and say like, well, the the Misfits, you know, logos are like super recognizable, which they are. But when you see that presidential seal, you know who it is. Or when you see fucking somebody, some other band fucking using that yep. fucking thing. Oh, yeah. I know exactly where you got that from, motherfucker. Not to say that it's like, well, the Ramones clearly got it from, like, the presidential city of the United States. Yeah. I'm not saying that. I'm saying another fucking band using that shit. Like, yeah. I know where you got that from, yeah. motherfucker. You yeah, know? Like, exactly. I don't know. It's... But what's, um... And I remember when Tommy died, I was just like... Dude... Funny story about that, just as an aside. So, Lost or uh, Westcott Theater, they had booked a show. It was fucking Glenn Matlock and fucking Tommy Ramone. They were going to be doing a show together. Really? I don't know what the fuck it was going to be. I don't know if it was going to be Ramones and Sex Pistols songs, but the two of them were slated to play a show. No shit. Okay. It ended up being canceled, and the replacement show for it was like, it, it was like, not Tommy... And it was like someone else. It was weird. Like Tommy didn't end up doing it for what I think he might have gotten sick or something. They they canceled initially, and then when they came back around, it was like not that. Yeah. It was like Glenn Matlock and like some other fucking schmo. Or, yeah. You know, some flub. I I don't know. But um, I also remember when he had passed away, and it was just like it was it was weird. It was bizarre. Like it didn't. It really was too, which is strange because I mean obviously. I mean, all the original members. Were yeah, dead. but I remember when Johnny died. I was actually going to. I was going to a show. I'd come home from school, and I want to say I was freshman or sophomore year or something like that. And I was going to a show that night. I came home and I was getting ready. I was going to see uh, Killswitch Engage play at the Lost, and with Eighteen Visions and Thirty Six Crazy Fists and From Autumn to Ashes. And I remember I was getting, and I had kind of, uh, that was when I had fully, in 2004, I was fully into like metal and hardcore, 100%. Like that was my existence, was going to metal and hardcore and metalcore shows and things like that. But I never lost the remote. It never went away. It no, different. no. It was always at the forefront. And that's where, that's where I think things got muddy for some people was they would, discover bands and leave them behind they would move on to different genres now i never was never segregated to one genre of music no i've listened to rock and roll i've listened to classic rock you know stuff that was considered classic rock um look you you and i can have conversations about madonna we can then jump into the smiths we can talk about hall and oats and we can talk about fucking metallica and it, or ccr or ccr exactly it doesn't there so many times people are so fucking caught up in they they get so attached to one fucking genre or they envelop like one thing and that's all and that I can't is. stand that I no, can't and that fucking blinders it's, off, it's huge with heavier music with metal and hardcore especially like metal kids we don't want to listen to hardcore hardcore we don't want to listen to metal stuff like they get so like caught up in like what 
you should be into. And I've never shied away from, I like what I like. Like, I will listen to Cannibal Corpse, and then I will put on Madonna. Mm -hmm. I will put on the Deftones, and then I will listen to the Smiths. I will put on the Ramones, and then I will listen to 18 Visions. And then I'll fucking, I'll listen to fucking Merle Haggard. Exactly. And there's never been any bounds with music, but one consistent has always remained that the Ramones are my favorite band. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but I remember when I heard about that, I was like, fuck, when Johnny Ramone died, I was like, Jesus Christ, like, just two years ago was Dee Dee, and the year before that was Joey, and well, what the fuck? Uh, but I think it, if there's any band, I think that band still influences me today to want to play music, just because you don't need to make it big, just play just play. And that's what the Ramones were about. Because there's one thing that was consistent with the Ramones. When they were playing, they were playing. When they were active, they were always playing. There were no extended breaks. There wasn't anything, you know what I mean? If there was ever anything that was going on, it was. if there was ever any kind of break, it was... I mean, what was their biggest break, I guess, was between uh, Brain Jane and Mondo Bizarro. But that was because they weren't going to put out... I don't know why they didn't put out another studio record in that time, but I think that they were maybe just breaking in with CJ into the touring life, but they had met their obligation with Sire with the all the stuff and more, one and two. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, they, if they weren't in the studio, they were touring. You know what I mean? And uh, they were a working class band. They remained that until the very end. And... Uh, which is funny because they had gotten offered to do South America again after the band had broke up. Marky wanted to do it. No of course one, he did. No, no one else did because they didn't need did. that kind of... They didn't care about the money. It wasn't about the money. And, you know, John has said, like, wanted to go out on top. Didn't want to ever go out there and phone it in and look like we couldn't get the job done. Mm-hmm. So we'd done it for 20 years. It was time to pull the plug. Went out on top. And I think they did. Well, and, and that's something, too, you got to admire about them as well. It's like, you know, they didn't really overstay their welcome, and they didn't, and they put out new music until the very end. Yeah. You know, until they had officially had retired, and it's like, how many times you see fucking bands not, like, trying to call out any groups, but it's like, you see groups that just, they kind of tour the greatest hit stuff. And, yeah, that's great, because what that does is it brings, it's like, look, you and I weren't able to see fucking... Well, actually, it's not a good example. Using the example of like even like a Tears for Fears, it's like we weren't around when they they you know right. when fucking the hurting came out. Yeah. So like I couldn't fucking see that. So when I see them now, yes, I want to see their greatest hits. I want to hear everything exactly because I wasn't there. So the Ramones didn't do that. They kept putting out music, and they would put they would sprinkle in their new set in in terms in. Also, as like their original stuff and moving on through their whole catalog, they'd play kind of a sampler for for everything, and it's nice that they didn't fucking just do that. They didn't just fucking just play their greatest hits set list and that's it. Yeah, and it's like it's great because you look at bands even now too. It's like look at fuck look at Bruce Dickinson jumping around on stage. Yeah. I mean, still fucking whales, dude. And how old are those guys? Yeah, and they're, they're still playing 50s. fucking. 
50,000 seat arenas in and the, fucking Chile. You they're know, like, another band, too. They put out their last record. Um, Book of Souls, right? Book of Souls. And guess what? They play, they're still playing a lot of songs off that. And if you don't like it, oh well, don't show up. Because mm-hmm. guess what? They got enough fans that like want to see that new shit. Because they're still playing at the top level. Hell yeah. And Adios Amigos was still at a top level. And those songs still sounded great. And I love that they didn't... And I hate bands that like put out a new record and then they'll play one or two songs from it. And then you won't really hear any of the other tracks from it until the next touring cycle. Maybe you'll hear one sprinkled in there. What's the point of recording new music? You're not going to play the shit. Exactly. But it's... Um, like I said, their influence and in, oh yeah, no, another thing I we talked about it, but I wanted to make make sure we mentioned it on here for anybody else that's listening as a Ramones enthusiast or fan is when John did. Uh, again, we say John because we knew him, right? Yeah, like out. I said before, yeah. we get Christmas cards and shit. You yeah. Know, like. <laughs> so uh, he uh, was on uh, Steve Jones from Sex Pistols uh, radio show. Jonesy's jukebox and I told you Chris Cornell I called in but during that you know he said you know they got a call from Saturday Night Live to do Saturday Night Live and he go and you know said well why what's well you're a replacement for the Sex Pistols they they had to cancel well you don't replace anybody the Ramones don't replace anybody hang up like (laughs) click it's amazing that's fucking because that's it's having self fucking respect yep for who we are because you know you're you're your worth is as much as you feel, you know. Oh yeah, you know what I'm saying, and he's not allowing somebody else to be like, yeah, the, the pistols fell through. Are you good to do this? We can't bring in these fucking slobbering fucking UK fucks, <laughs> New York City natives. Are you guys good to fill in? Yeah, because right. you're playing CBGBs this weekend, right? Like you can just fucking not. Sh- Hilly Crystal's not gonna fucking yeah. break your legs if you don't show up to this fucking gig, right? Seriously. Uh, but what do you? I guess to to wrap it up, I guess, what do you think, um, something I didn't like, I don't like that CJ wasn't inducted. No. I, I don't, I think, I don't like that, I don't like that, I don't like that, um, Richie wasn't inducted. Uh, the blackballing of contributing members is kind of sickening, because they weren't, they didn't just come in and fucking play everybody else's songs. Both of them fucking... Both of them contributed yeah. in an artistic fucking sense. It's not like fucking Clem Burke's up there. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Like, and where I kind of get lost is the Rock the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame decides what members get in. <clears throat> I don't like that. I think it's stupid. I think the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's a fucking... A shisted system. Sham. Tupac's in there, but Judas Priest isn't. The Cars. The Cars... Right? They fucking did not make the cut. They didn't make the cut? I thought I didn't think they were inducted yet. I thought they're still fucking waiting. Well, they were on the ballot this year. Did they get in? I guess not. I don't know. Hmm. Either way. So, con- continue with your thought. <laughs> I mean, uh, Robert Trujillo from Metallica, <coughs> who joined in <clears throat> 2002 or three. They were inducted in 2010. He was inducted seven years. Yeah. CJ was in the Ramones for seven years. We couldn't get CJ inducted. The band wouldn't have continued without him. So if we're led to believe that that's how, you know, that's how it's dictated. It's based on the actual, like, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, whatever the fucking board of directors, whoever the fuck makes that decision. Mm -hmm. So it's, I don't know. I just, I think it's kind of fucking, it's kind of lame, dude. 
But other than that, I think, like I said, I think their their legacy lives on uh, without a doubt. They have so much. That, that's what's nice about it, too, is their, their discography is so vast, so long. There's so many albums to get into mm-hmm. that they... They'll live on for a long time because there's so much. When you dive down the Ramones rabbit hole, not only do you have all their albums, but then you have some the little bit of Joey material. Then you have the CJ material. Then you have the Richie material. Then you have all the DD bootleg stuff that you can get into. And the fucking Mark Ramon Blitzkrieg. And, and the Mark Ramon All the shit he's been in with yeah. all the other artists. Like, wasn't he doing shit with fucking Michael Graves for a little yeah. while? Yeah. Yep. I mean, that's. He played with the Misfits for a, a, a summer. Mm hmm. Um, so he's, uh, the, the ones that are alive are still active and that's a good thing. Yeah. Because, you know, if they fucking stop and they just fucking vegetate, that's going to be it. They're doing what they know. They're fucking continuing their craft. So I think to, if there's one thing I've taken away from this is at some point we got to, we got to sit down and we got to do a Ramones cover set. We need to get people invested enough to do a Ramones cover cover set dude on board and i think we know who not to fucking tap yeah. for this yeah you know, when individuals you know are not we're not looking to include uh but yeah dude uh on board 110 percent you know it's got to be done at some point i've been talking about it for a, a decade and a half <laughs> i know <now>. right <laughs> the fuck but any closing thoughts I had one question because I know we didn't really get to, to talk about it at all, but I know that you have a, a shared interest and a fucking shared love for, uh, you know, uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Stephen Morrissey. And I was curious your take on that article that he wrote about the Ramones being like essentially like gutter trash fucking street shit. He... But then to go on and record a fucking tribute album to Ramones. Did you ever check that out? Well, the Morrissey curates the Ramones. Yeah. Well, he just picked the tracks. He didn't. He had no. He didn't do anything with that. No, it was just he picked a set list that he picked a collection of songs. Okay. That he wanted. Okay. And put it on in a release. Well, because like I have heard co- like him doing Ramones covers live. Yeah. Like, I've seen like whatever bootleg footage. Yes. So what? What's your take on all of that? Where it's like. His initial, his initial fucking shooting from the hip fucking, that, that's fucking trash. Well, he's talked about, because he'd been asked, I think, with Jules Holland, uh, he had been asked about that. They said, you know, it was, it was after his, um, his Something is Squeezing My Skull uh, single came out where it had him with a picture with him with the Johnny Ramone statue at the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. So I was, and as soon as I saw that, I was like, is he doing that to be a dick? Is he fucking, uh, is he being a dick? Because he might have crossed the line. Morrissey never crosses the line with me. I always back all his crazy shit. <laughs> his antics. Yeah. And then he did that, and I was just like, I got it. So luckily he was asked about that, and he said, well, you know, when I wrote that article, I was, uh, and still am, a huge New York Dolls fan. And to me, they were taking the place of the New York Dolls, and I didn't like that. I didn't like that they were the new New York band. I didn't like that they, so he was more like, who the fuck's this band think they are coming from New York type thing. But, and he's just like, I always knew they had amazing songs. And he was just like, I was too young and stubborn to admit it then. Cause that was a pretty scathing yeah. fucking article. I think he did, uh, Jackie is a punk live, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. 
But yeah, he later came out and retracted his negative negativity because he thought that they were ta- unceremoniously taking the New York Dolls spot. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. All right. Yeah. I, uh, as far as uh, I, I mean, I don't know, man. I don't really. Uh... Could you? Okay. One of the last things because we did it with the last one, so we'll do it with this one mm-hmm. to to wrap her up. Rank their albums from. Too Tough to Die to Adios Amigos. We don't have to include Acid Eaters. Okay, thank you. <laughs> um, Alright, so starting with number one, with number one being the best, um, I'm still going to go with Too Tough to Die just because it's I've listened to it the most and I just I, I think it's just a fucking solid release. Too Tough to Die, um, I would have to then jump naturally halfway to Sanity. Um, from there, I mean, this is kind of going to go in order in terms of like releases for the most part. Um, from there, I would put uh, I put uh, Brain Drain. Then I would do uh, Adios Amigos, and Christ. From there, fucking Animal Boy. I think that kind of. What about Mana Bizarro? Mana Bizarro is weird. Fuck, I forgot about that. Now I gotta like uh, squeeze uh, that in. Mana Bizarro would probably be between um, Adios Amigos and Brain Drain, okay, or some variation of those mm-hmm. two. Um, yeah, I think that would be. I would probably go. From one to was it six? Yeah, one to six. I'd go too tough to die. Mondo Bizarro. Halfway to sanity. Oh, what the fuck! I'm trying to think. What else we got left? Adios Amigos. And... Brain Drain, Adios Amigos, and um, Animal Boy. I'd go that order. Brain Drain, Adios Amigos, <laughs> Animal Boy. <laughs> fucking Utica Zoo fucking cover album art like but what I mean right there I mean obviously if Too Tough to Die is our both are never one there's no I know we've talked about that album endlessly exhausted like, we, we can't seem to exhaust that topic but yeah I think that speaks volumes no pun intended on fucking how we feel about this the the you know the rebirth of them so to speak post uh, you know that first chapter of their yeah. existence so We've covered the first part of them. We've covered this from '84 to their end and everything after. So I think we've, I think we've, we've done it. Mission officially, accomplished. Officially dude. done it. <laughs> and two hours and change in. <laughs> Fuck yeah! But all right, man. It's been a, it's been a pleasure talking Ramones with you once again. Of course, it'll never it'll never get old, and Absolutely I'm sure it'll, every time we see each other, I'm sure there'll always be something new Ramones related that we need to relate to each other. Sprinkling in fucking little tidbits there. Yeah, oh yeah, tasty nugs always. But all right, man. I appreciate. It. Oh, before we leave, talk. A, let's talk. A little, we'll talk a little bit about because uh, we haven't had a chance to really talk about it too much. Uh, how did you like doing your um, house October or podcast October built for the Capital City Smiths? You and Hannah doing your own podcast. What was your experience like doing doing that? Oh, dude, we had a blast. Uh, it was we definitely overpromised initially. Uh, I think you know it's quite a lofty goal. We had a really good time. Uh, it was extremely tiring, but it really kind of forced us to learn on our feet 
you know, how to develop our sound, you know, our, our kind of our banter back and forth to obviously tying in people, you being on the show agreeing to do that as many times as you did was fucking, <laughs> was awesome. A, because you're hilarious and you know your shit, but B, there's a nice flow that exists when you get more than just two people. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's different because like with a topic like this where it's Ramones where we can talk this exhaust, you know, for fucking hours talking about a fucking hour and a half movie between two people it's not that it's difficult but you kind of you have to be creative about how you approach it yeah you know definitely um but no we we learned a lot about it we want to continue doing a podcast we're we're honing out kind of what we want to do um and a lot of that just has to do with like identity because what was nice about podcast Octoberville is that it was a standalone idea that exists within a greater podcast yeah that being capital city smith um, so it's just gearing up to figure out what the next natural progression and in the meantime and we're just kind of doing random ass movies and shit and what were the some of the favorite episodes that you did of that dude because I, I loved listening because you guys were banging them out so a couple of weeks so I was just trying to keep up dude. along with all the other shit that I tried to like squeeze in and fit in throughout the week so I was trying to keep up with everything that you guys were putting out but what were some of your favorite more favorite uh, episodes to do with that I had I had a blast doing Pet Cemetery. I think that was fucking awesome yeah. Yeah. And she even had said that too, because it just it sounded so good because her like we each kind of, obviously everybody has their own fucking their personalities that they inject into the podcast and what their strengths are and, and how they can talk and what they can talk about. I love do I love doing fucking uh, Pet Cemetery. Actually, we had a really good time with it from Dust Till Dawn episode. Um, the ring that I did with like Eddie and Matt was fucking a blast. Um, I don't know. The, those were some of like the, the ones I, I, I thought the fucking, um, the one we did, uh, what the fuck was it? Uh, Dawn of the Dead was pretty good, uh, with Derek. We had a lot of fun with that. It was just, it was good to get our friends on. And I know that yeah. you do that too. And that's, I don't know, you, you kind of displayed to us that like by bringing in the interesting people that you have around you it just like it's great because it's fucking organic and it's natural because yeah. you, know, you know the people it's like I know how to have a conversation with them yeah. and it's shit we have fucking a love for so yeah. it like makes for interesting conversations yeah and I think that's where that's where for people who podcast who aren't like celebrities or like you know have like a big like you know 500,000 YouTube followers like type thing you need to in order to stay because it's been interesting to see where you know my podcast doesn't have a lot of followers it has like we get every time we post an episode we usually get a, like probably like 160 downloads a week that's awesome which is gr- more than I ever expected but we're always finding new places are always finding us whether it be from an Instagram hashtag or whatever like the Rob Zombie episode that we just posted, uh, we got like 20 downloads from Tokyo, Japan. I don't know how they're understanding what the fuck BT is saying. Because <laughs> <laughs> right, we could barely figure out what the fuck he's Decipher trying to say. Yeah. The... <laughs> but like there's always like – it's always crazy to think that there's someone in another country listening to just you and your friends talk about stupidness. you know. And we're just like normal dudes. We're n- nothing special. We're not trying to freaking – Pretend uh, that we're, you know, hey, what's up? This is our guy media podcast. Now. <laughs> like, no, like it's not, it's not like that at all. But uh, to think that it stretches to anybody or, or for anybody to just download and listen to what we have to say about our stupidity and our fucking just having conversations with our friends. It's interesting. It's in, put it this way. It's interesting to think that 
your ring episode, someone's hearing Eddie Ackerman talk in another country, possibly. <laughs> like that's that is delightful yet frightening. It's extremely <laughs> frightening, you know? Like <laughs> thinking of somebody in like fucking Singapore, like hearing that shit, like <laughs> I don't know. It's just it's fucking wild, man. I bet you Peter Schnur didn't think that his name would be traveling across the interwebs so, to someone's SoundCloud account. So you know that scene in Billy Madison where Steve Buscemi like shows up. So when, so just expect at some point, even though we weren't like making fun of him, it's just like it. I He's mean, putting lipstick on somewhere. <laughs> oh my god! But on that note, Lou. I can't thank you enough. It's been fucking a blast talking Ramones with you, and uh, I'm yeah. sure I'm sure at some point we're gonna get BT tacked the fuck down so we could do this Alien Stop episode. Being non-committal. <laughs> Stop being non-committal, BT. Jesus. So hopefully we uh, we do that soon. But Lou, I can't thank you enough. Thanks. Yeah, man.